today at the House of Mario. Let's talk about that Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom trailer. Mario's first silver screen appearance in the Super Mario Brothers movie. There's some controversy in the Pokemon TCG community and what I learned about myself while playing Metroid. If you love Nintendo, video games, and the culture that surrounds them, you've found your home. Come on in. Everybody and welcome to the House of Mario, the South Australian Nintendo podcast that is backed by a 120 power star rating. I'm your host Drew Agnew and the doors to episode 249 are open. Hope you're going well. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever and whenever you are listening to the show. Very appreciate you visiting me at the House of Mario. Sometimes it gets a little bit lonely, but you know, it is what it is. No, it's not too lonely. I've got a, I've, got, I've got my family. It's good. It's very nice. It's been an absolutely massive couple of weeks for Nintendo, and I've been a little bit sick. So I've been putting off recording the episode. I don't, I don't want to be coughing and doing whatever too much, but I just can't seem to shake it off. I just cannot seem to shake it off. So I've got to get back into the studio and record an episode. And we've got plenty to talk about. This might be uh, the busiest time of year to be a Nintendo fan. Honestly, this might be it. This might be the, the magnum opus of uh, Nintendo podcasting. We've got a brand new Mario movie uh, the hype for the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is just massive with the latest trailer dropping and I want to jump straight into it. No mucking around and guys, this trailer was just absolutely extraordinary for Tears of the Kingdom. For those that don't know, if you're living under a rock, Nintendo released the third trailer for Tears of the Kingdom, the last trailer, the last bit of, uh, I guess, uh, main marketing leading up to the May 12th release of Tears of the Kingdom next month and we didn't know a lot about the game. Nintendo had been very secretive about the the title and we sort of going into it thinking, you know, it's going to be a great game. Cannot wait for it. It's a, a sequel to, you know, one of the best Nintendo published, Nintendo made games of all time. I think we're expecting uh, pretty grand things from it, but, you know, we, we haven't had that, uh, that real kick in the butt just, just to really get excited. And this trailer was it. So um, just... Uh, Hats off to the marketing team at Nintendo of America or whoever put this video together, whatever team of people decided to orchestrate this and basically redo what they did in uh, early 2017 with the Breath of the Wild trailer, which was at that really weird <laughs> Switch presentation they did in Japan. So we're basically sitting there getting information about Switch. Uh, this is where we got our release date and all of that. Um, with all the Nintendo spokespeople coming out on stage and doing like an old-fashioned presentation, which was really weird. We got the information we needed, but it was strange. We even got uh, members from EA who were obviously jet-lagged saying, oh, yeah, we love Nintendo. When I, I called my son Luigi because, oh, God, I just love Mario Brothers so much. And so I was like, what the hell is this? What's going on? But they just, at the end, like, all right, uh, here's the trailer for Breath of the Wild. Oh, cool. Yeah, here we go. And it just blew my socks off back then. I think it... I think it just sort of collapsed the internet just uh, as far as hype and excitement went. And um, they did it again. And I know what it's like being a Nintendo fan. Well, obviously, I'm, I am a Nintendo fan. But I think, you know, we can look at fan bases for whether it's different franchises, different consoles, different hobbies, whatever have you. And there's always the, the funny sort of weird aspect. And I think when it comes to Nintendo fans, we get excited about pretty much everything. Um you could have made the joke that we'll get excited over cardboard, but uh, they literally did that, uh, Nintendo with Labo, and we didn't get that excited. So 
well, not quite as bad as maybe that stereotype goes. But so I tried to keep myself a little bit reserved, you know, sit back a bit, like really think about it. Like, you know, is this worth getting excited about? Is this going to be just like a fantastic game just to really sink our teeth into? And uh, this this is a safe place. This is a, a, a refuge for uh, Nintendo fans. Bloody oath. Bloody oath we're going to get excited about this, everybody. This trailer was just amazing. I am so hyped for the game. You know, it's been a slow build-up. Just like, oh, I can't wait for that game. And a couple of weeks ago, show us some gameplay. Oh, wow, that looks pretty cool. You can put a rock on a stick. Fantastic. Like a rock on a stick or oh, a rock on a shield. You could put a, a bit of meat on an arrow. Like, what is this game? You can make a little boat and sail across. Goodness gracious, Anuma. What treats have you got us got cooking in your game here apart from cooking obviously but this trailer it showed off so many aspects of the game just for little tidbits little uh, gameplay snippets so many things to pause have a look at you know we can sort of gather from the trailer that dungeons are coming back boss fights not confirmed or anything like that who knows could be wrong but it was definitely alluring to that and it's just like the aspects of exploring the sky. It looks like you're exploring a lot underground as well, which is very exciting. This game is kind of going from like a 2D plane of exploring Hyrule to exploring like a cube. You're exploring the skies. You're exploring Hyrule as it is. You're exploring the underground. There's going to be a lot to it. I think this game is just going to be so feature rich. It's going to make Breath of the Wild look like a look kind of bare bones. And that's kind of uh, kind of weird to say because that game had a lot of content in it. Which is, uh, which is just very, very exciting. This is going to be um, a game of the generation for Switch, I think. Um, I, ne- I never want to overhype myself, but I feel safe. I feel safe when it comes to Zelda and overhyping, <laughs> overhyping uh, things. So I don't, hope I don't overhype you. If you're like, you know, you're sitting on the fence and you listen to this and you're like, oh my God, this guy's bloody excited about this Zelda game. God, I cannot wait to dive into it. It's going to be good. And it might disappoint you. When I have seen some people online sort of being like, I don't understand why everyone's so excited. And that's fair enough. But I hope you have something in your life that makes you feel <laughs> like I feel about this trailer. It, it was just um, absolutely extraordinary. And uh, the day afterwards, I was at work, I was sharing, and I was listening to this trailer, just the audio on loop. It was just amazing. Like, I'm going to play a bit now. I've basically broken out the trailer into little segments, like little... Um, like you know how it sort of builds up like for example this bit here like the build-up of the trailer is just extraordinary and it just hypes me up so much i I want to inject it into my veins right now and uh you can have a bit of a taste as well let's oh oh like just this bit here just jesus christ it gives me goosebumps even hearing it (laughs) and i was i was not expecting this I was not expecting it. Like, hear about it, that they're going to be live streaming it. I'm watching it just on my phone in bed when I was almost asleep. I'm like, well, that was pretty bloody good. But it wasn't until the next day where it really sort of really sunk in. And I could I could just gush about, like, the music in this trailer forever. Like, when the saxophone kicks in, when it, like, does this. Oh! <laughs> I, like, cut it just so it, like, the bit where it just, like... The goosebumps just smack you all over the skin. Your hair stands up. And like I said, if you're not hyped about this trailer, I, I hope you have something in your life that really uh, brings out the joy and the love. <laughs> so the music uh, is absolutely fantastic. And the music in uh, the original trailer as well for Breath of the Wild, which I talked about before, 
was really great too, but we didn't really see much of it in the actual game. And I think one hope for me is that we do see more of this music implemented into the game itself. Because while I think the music works great for Breath of the Wild, how it's very sort of, you know, the world's basically regrowing and it's very quiet and the music represents that. But I think now with a lot more on the line, Hyrule sort of coming, banding together, you're seeing all these characters basically coming together to help Link and uh, they've got their own sort of uh, rebellion is... uh, is a uh, is what it looks like. So, man, it looks uh, it looks great. So I hope they have some more of this music in the actual game itself. Some more Zelda esque music rather than just maybe the very end boss fight. But we have some questions to uh, sort of keep the Zelda discussion going. And I was very happy to see this question in the Discord from my good friend Brost Wit, as you would remember from the House of Mario podcast when he was uh, the co-host here. So he asks, judging by the last Tears of the Kingdom trailer with the return of Ganondorf and the importance of the sky, do you think that this game is going to have heavy ties to Skyward Sword? Why, why not? And uh, that's an aspect I didn't even touch on. Um, Yeah, Ganondorf. It's the first time Ganondorf is going to be back in the Legend of Zelda series since Twilight Princess 17 years ago. And that's crazy to think about because um, that's when I got into Zelda. That, That was my first Zelda game. That was the game that made me go, this series absolutely rocks. And it was sort of the the stepping stone of becoming more of a hardcore Nintendo fan, not just Pokemon, Mario, etc. You know, that's that was a, a stepping stone into more franchises. So just thinking that Ganondorf, the main villain, the antagonist, has not been in the series for that long is really, really uh, kind of baffling in some ways. It sort of made me go, oh, wow, really? <laughs> Which is cool to see him back, especially in the context for what's going on in the story or what we think is going on in the story. But as far as the ties to Skyward Sword, I think it's, uh, if there's no ties to Skyward Sword at all and there's like floating islands and you're like you're jumping out of the sky and they just re-released Skyward Sword um, basically a little bit over a year ago and there's no ties whatsoever, that would be fascinating. <laughs> if there's no ties whatsoever, but there's definitely going to be ties to Skyward Sword and for like people who are really into Zelda lore, I love Zelda lore, but I can't say I'm an expert on it. I do sort of, uh, you know, look around the internet and stuff and find interest in what's going on with uh, these games. But it's obvious that Nintendo wanted the last game um, before um, Tears of the Kingdom to be released was Skyward Sword. And I think there is a reason for that. And um, there's a lot of theories going around that uh, basically they're going to be like a trilogy of games. So Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, each representing their own side of the Triforce. And that this game is like a a prequel to Skyward Sword in some ways. And you can sort of see in the logo with the dragon sort of looping around eating its tail. With Skyward Sword being the very first game in the series and then all of the timeline sort of trickling down to Breath of the Wild and then Tears of the Kingdom being the sequel to Breath of the Wild, you could sort of see that this might be the game that sort of loops it back to the start of the timeline when the Triforce and these characters were sort of set in place and why we see reincarnations of Zelda Link and Ganon slash Ganondorf from Demise, the main villain of um, Skyward Sword. So there's a lot to sort of think about and we will not know, but we can sort of have little guesses and all that about what's going on in these trailers and uh, it looks uh, absolutely fascinating. I cannot wait. I think one of the most interesting parts of Skyward Sword was the the lore um, and the story. 
It uh, had a lot of other weaknesses, but I think going back to it now, if you haven't gone back to it on Switch, I think that might be a game to pull out of your backlog and get finished before Tears of the Kingdom, just to get that little bit of context because there will, I think you will get a lot out of the lore from what's going on in the sky and going on with um, Hyrule in uh, Tears of the Kingdom. So very, very exciting. I cannot wait for this game. God, it's got me excited. Oh, just that music we played before. Look, if, if I if during the show I sort of lose my energy in that, I'm going to be playing <laughs> playing one of these snippets from the trailer. It's absolutely amazing. So I cannot wait. I also got another question from Adios who, said, who asked, will Tears of the Kingdom suffer from having a similar map from Breath of the Wild? And interesting question. It's uh, definitely, you know, just a, a good question to ask. Like, I was using the same map. Uh, will it be a little bit boring? Um just straight off the bat, no, I don't think so. But I haven't really seen this discourse online, but I heard people sort of like the rebuttal against it. But people were saying that this is just going to be like a $70 DLC for Breath of the Wild. And so it's kind of an interesting take considering that like this is a sequel. So I don't know exactly what people want. That's like, oh, they want a completely different art style and just completely different sort of game design and all of that. It's like, we want a sequel. We want to explore the world and see how it's changed. And the biggest strength of Breath of the Wild was the environmental storytelling and how you're exploring Hyrule and you're picking up things. And uh, especially once you've got the, me- like the memories that you're finding on your travels for what's happened in those specific areas, I felt was really powerful for a lot of um, a lot of the game. And the part that I remember the most was just like the battlefield with like all these, um, I forgot what they're called now, the Guardians. The Guardians, they're all basically destroyed. There's heaps of them. You're like, oh my God, some shit down went, <laughs> went down here. And you see one of the memories and see what happened. You're like, oh my God. And I thought that was absolutely incredible how... There's so many areas within the game that you can see that something's happened, but you might have to look into it or read something or see a memory. And I think that that environmental storytelling was really cool. And even to the point where there's a little section when you go to like the Zonai ruins. And personally for me, I didn't pick up on this when I was playing the game. I went through it. I'm like, cool, like, you know, whatever. But that place was just so important for the setup of Tears of the Kingdom. And you could have easily missed it like myself, or you could have really dug into it and be like, oh, this might be where the next game's going. And if you, you know, were on that, you know, that mindset, you would have been right, which is just absolutely fascinating. So personally for me, I like that it's actually going to be using the same Hyrule, how we are going to be seeing how things have changed in the few years, how the bringing back of Ganondorf has just ruined some areas and maybe made some other races Um. I guess, uh, rise up as far as who's going to side with Ganon in the Triforce of Power and how all that goes. Who picks the wrong side, pretty much, the evil side, and what's going on with the Zonai, why these islands have rise to the sky. We don't know why that's happened. And, uh, you know, the, the underground sections, and I think there's going to be a lot to it. There's, it's not just going to be the same map. And even even on a more basic sort of level with uh, a link between worlds, how that used the map from Link to the Past. And that was a lot more basically, not not like exactly the same, but it's was, it was a lot more similar to what we're going to be experiencing in this game. I thought it wor- works really well for that game as well, how they introduced the different mechanics within the same world and how it sort of played with your expectations. And it's it's sort of a, sort of a great way to um, utilize your knowledge 
but also flip it on its head in some ways as well. So it's going to be really interesting how, how it goes. So definitely not going to have um, a problem. I don't think the map's going to be that similar, to be honest, but it will have like the landmarks, the desert, and all that will be in similar places and maybe some other landmarks to just be wiped out. We can see that um, like the forest area where you get the Master Sword, I think uh, I've noticed in the trailer, but that's just like, that's gone. Uh, so that's uh, that's interesting to note. So cannot wait to explore this game, man. Going to be fantastic. And of course, I'd like to hear what you guys think about this trailer. I know that there's um, a lot of excitement, but if anyone, if, if anybody has any like trepidation, but mm, I'm not too sure about jumping into those big balls of water. I'm not too sure about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because, you know, they might uh, set us in our place and ruin our excitement and just... Uh, <laughs> I'm joking, but I would love to hear what you think about the trailer. Join our Discord community. There's a link in the show notes. Go and check that out. So that's, before we uh, keep going on the show, I'd like to do some housekeeping. And the housekeeping is you can go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars obviously will obviously be preferred. Come on now. Just like Toad78 uh, did. And he said, title, great. Five stars. Fantastic, Toad. Thank you very much for the review. Really appreciate it. Very, uh, very, um, very to the point. And I, I appreciate it. They actually, they actually said cool, cool as well. I actually missed that because of the formatting of, uh, of how it's laid out here. But I appreciate that very much. So helps with the algorithm. Helps me know that uh, at least there's someone out there who says, oh, yeah, that's no, cool. That's cool to me, man. So thank you very much for that. And you can go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash rodruby, where you can hear me talk about more Nintendo stuff. That's always cool. And if you like the help out and support the dream, you can go to patreon.com slash Rodruby where from a dollar a month, you can get access to exclusive shows such as Heaps Good, which I do with my good friend Josh of Nintendvania and my secret recordings, which, you know, usually I do in my car when I've got a bit of spare time, put the, put the bloody phone on, chuck, chuck the microphone on my, on my chest. Let's go. Let's talk about some stuff. I've been really enjoying sort of, you know, talking with the small group of people over there, which I probably wouldn't just, you know, chuck onto YouTube because goodness gracious, who knows it? Who knows who's out there? Who could listen to me ramble on about stuff? I don't know. Scary stuff, man. Scary world out there. Keep safe. All right. <laughs> Let's jump into the Mario movie. So I want to watch this the very first day that it was, uh, came out and, Oh, man, I really enjoyed this one as well. It's a great time to be a Nintendo fan, just like I uh, mentioned at the start of the show. So I went to the first screening at my local cinema. Got there about 15 minutes early. I'm like, oh, there's nobody here. I might have a cinema to myself. And very excited about that idea. It was uh, nice. I remember seeing uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh, all by myself. And that was uh, probably towards the end of the run of uh, the cinema um, when that movie was in the cinema. So yeah, that made sense, but it was like everyone's at work maybe it's a Wednesday it's 10 40 in the morning so we could see we could see why it might be a bit quiet but then a couple of people came in there was a a man a woman their kid so like, oh that's quite nice they're doing the family thing coming to see the Mario movie and then I hear a bunch of commotion outside and what do I see a, a whole school's coming in to come and watch the Mario movie and at first I was thinking to myself Oh, goodness gracious, they're going to be throwing popcorn and yelling and crying and snorting and coughing and God knows what in the movie theatre. Um, but then it took me about a minute to be like, no, this is really cool. I'm going to be able to experience this uh, this movie just throughout this like so many generations of people. And I was right. The movie was absolutely a joy to watch. It tickled my nostalgia bones, loved the music, what I was seeing on screen. 
I kind of described the movie as just like a roller coaster of emotions as I was going through it. The story was a Mario story. We know how it starts and we know how it finishes, but the journey to get there was really, really great. I really enjoyed the how they characterized Mario Luigi, Bowser, Peach, especially. Peach was absolutely amazing, played by Anna Taylor Joy. And I thought, uh, yeah, she was a standout for the movie, just how strong and powerful they made her and how much of a strong female lead I believe that character is. And it was great to see not just your classic Princess Peach sitting in a castle waiting to be saved. She was the most proactive character at the whole car. She knew what she was doing. She was um, the most combat ready. She was uh, absolutely fantastic. So I absolutely loved seeing that. And how like the the movie just sort of swells with the music coming in and showing what's on screen and also playing music from like the multiple, 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 multiple Mario games that have played in the past. And it just tickles a nostalgia bone from every single one. And just an absolutely gorgeous movie as well. I really loved it. And it was funny because I came out of the cinema and I sort of saw how the critics were taking the movie, how it was basically sitting. It was like under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and um, basically the fan reception was like at 98, like it was just crazy high. And I came out of it being like a little bit surprised, but I oh, really like that low. The critics really don't like it that much. Um, but then I sort of, I'm like, well, if you're just like somebody from, I don't know, the Washington Post or some newspaper or whatever, and you're sent to go and watch this movie and you just, you've got no attachment to Nintendo, Mario, or even video games at all, like you'd never get your thumbs on the sticks whatsoever, I can see this movie being you know, maybe pretty boring, especially for an adult or even maybe a kid with no love for it whatsoever. I think it's gonna it's got plenty of physical humor that you might expect from other Illumination movies. But I can, you know, kind of see their point of view. It's fair enough. But this movie was made for, you know, kids, mainly young kids and hardcore Nintendo fans who have been playing these games for years and years. And it's special because those two things come together where, you know, myself, my son is a bit young, but if he was a little bit older, um, we could really share that. This could be something that I'm like, I love Mario, son. I've been playing this since I've been a little boy. And uh, this is something you can enjoy as well. Even if you're still too young to really con- use a controller, you can watch the movie, see the pretty colors, the, you know, the, the fun music and go along with the story there. I thought it was absolutely what it needed to be. For a sequel, do I hope for a better story and not to lean so much on just being, hey, look, it's Mario on the big screen and here's just here's some amazing just production values and uh, you'll love it. But I would like to see the next movie sort of be a little bit better just for everybody. Maybe a little bit more sort of adult jokes that sort of go over kids' heads type of things. It wasn't as like, it wasn't witty like a lot of other kids' movies are. Um, even like, you know, stuff like the Simpsons or whatever, like I rewatch it now as a late 20 year old. I'm like, Oh my God, I never got that as a kid. And, uh, I think that's, um, sort of, you know, when it comes to kids movies where the writing is like super clever, I think that's really important for making a movie that sort of, um, transcends generations and where's the Mario movie got away with it because it is just so special to a lot of people. I think I would like to see it take that next step for the next movie and really transcend generations with a bit more clever writing and use a little bit more story, a little bit more A to B, rather than just, you know, Bowser wants Peach and Luigi's missing. And, you know, we sort of see like the the basic Mario uh, storyline. But absolutely loved it. The kids in the theater loved it. Um, 
bunch of, like the parents that the, the, and their child absolutely loved it and um, cannot wait for it to come out on. I'll probably get it on Apple TV. I think I, it's just easier to stream it that way. But might get the Blu-ray. I definitely want to watch it again and again and again and just have it for whenever Lucas is watching TV and you know share it with him that way. I think that'll be really special because you know how, how many years do I have to wait to um be like hey hey man play some games. Here's a, here's a controller. How many years is that? Like four years old? Four? Even that's a bit young. Five? Some bit more basic things. So the, like the movies, that's where it's just so accessible for, for everybody. And we're seeing uh, just like the sales and everything going on, the success of this movie, which we'll be talking about later, but absolutely fantastic. Loved it very, very much. I don't know what I'll give it like out of five stars. I think I mentioned on um, another podcast, I guess it on like four out of five stars. And typically when I'm doing um, like, I guess ratings, I, I basically when, when I'm playing all the games that I'm playing this year, when I finish them, I just go on the GG app and I do a quick review, just summarizing my thoughts, share it on Twitter, but it's also got like a five-star rating as well. And I haven't rated anything over four stars this year as far as stuff that I've pl- been playing. And that's typically, I want to reserve that for like, this is truly, truly amazing. Like everybody has to really play this or watch this, for example, with the Mario movie. So I'm reserving that sort of accolades as far as, you know, my own thoughts, but definitely, definitely uh, worth a lot of people watching. Um, but for example, if I, if I showed like my wife, for example, who is not a child <laughs> and is not a video game fan, she'll be like, no, she, she wouldn't get any enjoyment out of it. So that's, uh, that's what it is, but it's, uh, it's made for us. That's for sure. It's made for us and our, our offspring when we breed our little, So <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Loved it very much. All right, let's move into my week of gaming and I've finished uh, four games since I've last recorded an episode of the house of Mario. So the 12th game that I finished in 2023 was Bayonetta origins, Cereza and the lost demon. And this was a sleeper hit personally for me, really liked the look of the game going into it. I talked about it um, maybe three weeks ago at this point, but uh, finishing the game, it just sort of solid. It really made my thoughts on this game solid that this is absolutely fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I loved exploring the exploration, the art style, the music, loved the the story that was told between Cereza and Shesha, um, the demon that she summons and she's got to find a way to send it back home to the underworld. And it was just a really sweet story and sort of how the, how it uh, wrapped up, how the story wrapped up. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was um great and more, it, it does the sort of um, maybe a bit of a no-no where like, the final act of the game, you're getting taught new mechanics, but these new mechanics, they were things that you probably expect if you're a seasoned player of Bayonetta, where it's a very big mechanic. So um, it's really cool how they sort of um, change it up and give you some more mechanics to play with, but absolutely fantastic. And it's probably at the moment, my favorite Nintendo published game of this year. And it was, uh, I was not expecting that. I was going into the year, really looking forward to Fire Emblem, and obviously Zelda, Zelda's got to knock that off its uh, off its perch in a couple of weeks. But it was um, it's really worth playing, man. I don't. It's 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 a little bit hard to recommend because there's so many games to play in in 2023. It's a full price game. It's 80 bucks here in Australia. So fair enough if you give it a miss. But there's a demo that uh, actually carries on your on your save file. So go and give it a go. There's nothing to lose there. Um, but I personally really liked it and. 
the only sort of uh, knock I got against it is there was a there's a section where I was going looking for a collectible and it basically sent me down a slide and sent me to like the other side of the map. And I was like, oh my God. So I was trying to get back to where I needed to go and I just could not sort of find my way because the whole idea is that you're like, you're lost in the woods and the game really makes you feel like you're lost in the woods, especially when you've got to maybe go across the whole thing to get back to where you were. And I looked, I had to Google online. I'm like, is there like a, is there a fast travel in this game? It's like, yes, there is. If you talk to a certain character at your base camp, I'm like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know that. I must have missed that tutorial or something along the way. So I was easily able to get back to where I was, but it sort of, it it put in my head like the idea of uh, collecting everything, going back once the game's finished because it does give you um, an option for a harder mode. It does give you sort of um, new game plus options and stuff like that. But the idea of going and collecting everything sounds like a nightmare. So just collect stuff as you go along, finish the game, get the credits and thumbs up, turn it off. Uh, if, you go, if you're 100%, if you're a completionist, uh, it might be a little bit little bit harder to jump into. But uh, number 13 that I finished this year was The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. And I play this on the NSO, the Game Boy Advance app on Nintendo Switch. And The Minish Cap is always, 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 always a game that I've started, I don't know, 10 times Got it on, say, I didn't have it on Game Boy Advance. It came out in 2005 here. The DS was already a thing. Um, it was already kicking. Probably saving up for Pokemon Emerald at the time. So any other game was just not on the agenda. Also, I wasn't a Zelda fan at this point. Yeah, like I said, it wasn't until um, Twilight Princess a couple of years later. But I um, fell in love with the series. So I, I missed it there. But then I started on emulator, you know, a fair few times. It came to... Uh, the 3DS ambassador system. So if you bought a Nintendo 3DS before the $100 price cut, uh, Nintendo gave out uh, a little certificate. You got 10 NES games and you got 10 Game Boy Advance games. And one of them was Minish Cap and I started on there <laughs> and I dropped it. And that happened multiple, multiple times and I got maybe to the first dungeon. I can't quite remember. Um, but now just with this app, I've been wanting the Game Boy Advance games on on switch forever. So I really want, I really want to make use of it. I don't want to be like, Oh, well, cool. They're there and just never touch them. And just finishing this game just felt so rewarding because it's just been on my backlog literally for, I don't know, since I was, since I've been a gamer, I guess when it comes to like series that I really like, I haven't played every Zelda game. I've still probably got like a good handful of Zelda games that I haven't touched. So just having one knocked off was absolutely great. And one of my favorite genres in gaming is actually top-down adventure games, i.e. The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> so when it comes to like, um, you know, like Minish Cap and Link to the Past and Link Between Worlds and all that, these are like some of my favorite games. And even to the point where like Blossom Tales 1 and 2 indie games on Switch, are like some of my favorite games on the Switch even. Like I really love them and I love how it's not too long. It's about 15 hours in and out, plenty of stuff to do. And uh, this is this is one of those games, and it's probably one of the inspirations for maybe some of the games that I really, I've really enjoyed on Switch. So I had an absolutely fantastic time with the game. It's a lot of fun, and the dungeons and the items and everything was really cool. And my first experience, sort of playing a Capcom made The Legend of Zelda game, which was really great. And I really enjoyed some of the dungeons. The last couple of dungeons were big highlights for me. Really enjoyed them. And some of the items like the gust jar and I forgot the name of this, 
it's been a couple of weeks now, but like the name of the stick flips stuff over and unless you interact with stuff in the overworld and un- unravel secrets. And the land of Hyrule is really small in this game. It's it's really tiny, but sort of all the secrets and everything's so dense within the game that you've got stuff just unlocking constantly. And the game does this through a sort of a side quest sort of method where you're, you know, there's these NPCs they're asking for to match up with their kinstones, where kinstones, you find halves of them. Um, you can buy them. You can find them in the grass. You can find them, a lot of them in treasure chests. They come in different colors, green being pretty common to red being rare. And you're able to match up and it unlocks things in the overworld when you match these kinstones with different NPCs. Also progresses side quests and things, um, different stories, which is pretty cool, which I found pretty fascinating. And just how you're able to unlock all of these things in the overworld. So really great that I was able to get this one finished. Um, I'm a big fan of it. It is funny because I was like, oh, I'd love to see Capcom do another one. And uh, probably not going to happen. It's been over 20 years. So, well, has it been 20 years? No. No, it's not 2025 yet, man. Not yet. I know time's going quick, but it's not going that quick. So yeah, really loved uh, Minish Cap. And number 14, finished my first Metroid game, Metroid Fusion, also on the NSO Game Boy Advance app. And it's my first Metroid game I finished, and that's for a reason, is because I'm just really not good at them. (laughs) I really find it tough just you know getting through these games and i always fall off and i'll explain why i'm going to go to reddit's rec room i'm going to have a big discussion about metroid as a i guess a newbie to actually digging into metroid games seriously for the first time i've dabbled in a lot and i've probably played through more than half of metroid dread on switch but as far as actually finishing them it's a different story but i finished the game i'm like it was good i enjoyed it um, but I didn't absolutely love it. I didn't fall in love with it um, uh, through Metroid Fusion. And I heard that it was a good place to start, mainly because it's more of a linear Metroid game. Your um, basically um, computer, uh, I guess, assistant, Adam, is basically saying, look, you need to go here, do this. You go, then you go, you know, you find your way to that part on the map. You do that, you come back, you talk to Adam, he sends you somewhere else. And it's, uh, it's basically built for handheld play a lot more than maybe Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo was because it is basically do here, do this, come back, save. And then you can turn off your Game Boy and go on with the rest of your day. And it was sort of built that way. And the developers at Nintendo you know, knew this and they wanted to bring more people into the Metroid series um, through making it a little bit more accessible. And Metroid at this point hasn't, hadn't been around for eight years. You know, this, was, this game came out in 2000 and. 2002 and what was the last metroid game to come out like literally super metroid like it it, it missed <laughs> no metroid 2 on on game boy so it's been like it had been a long time since uh since a previous metroid game and also on this day metroid prime came out as well so i could only imagine what that day was like just have that that much of a drought and just to be exposed to a brand new generation of of fans and uh it, it would have been incredible it, it kind of reminds me in more modern days not the same franchise, but Mario 3D World on Wii U and A Link Between Worlds on 3DS. That was that was a day. <laughs> so I can imagine what it was like in the same franchise. Like, Christ almighty, what, what game do I play? Do I jump into the Fusion? Do I jump in the Prime? But I, I didn't love the game. I enjoyed the game. I thought it was quite smart how everything was laid out. It was spooky. It was pretty cool how the, um, the SAX is a, like a parasite that infects Samus. And Samus is 
just down and out for the count. She gets the uh, basically the Metroid DNA injected into her. That's what saves her. It changes her DNA. And she's also got the X-Parasite still inside of her and she's able to absorb um, the X-Parasite and she's basically immune to it. And in fact, there's basically a carbon copy of Samus running around and um, hunting her down. And that uh, that copy is the most powerful of like is, is like the peak of Samus's power and she's not able to take it down. So you're not able to even hurt the SAX at all. And you're basically running away from it the whole game. You're avoiding it. It's hunting you down. And it's, uh, it's really fascinating. And once I finished the game, I was like, oh, God, thank God that's done. Like I was, it's, it took me about four or five hours to finish. Did 76% of the collectibles. I did use a walkthrough. Like I said, I'm not smart enough to, or good enough or whatever, clever enough, whatever you want to say, to not use a walkthrough. I needed a walkthrough for this game. Um, but I left it a day and I thought about it and I, I had the itch. I'm like, oh. I'm actually really interested to go and check out Zero Mission. I hope it comes to the Game Boy Advance app soon. Really got the itch to go and check out Super Metroid and also get back and play Dread. So it, it laid a seed. It really did lay a seed. But we'll talk about that in Reggie's Rec Room a little bit later as far as the Metroid series as a whole. And the 15th game that I played, a quick game, little experience on PlayStation VR 2, a game called Before Your Eyes. And this is a narrative-based game. You don't even use a controller. The, com- the base of the control method is your eyes blinking. And this really is really smart in how it plays into the gameplay. The story is basically telling a person's story throughout their life and taking snippets and moments throughout their life. And you're basically just doing some small interaction with puzzles and stuff. You know, it's basically just using the eye tracking from PlayStation VR 2 and able to um, do quick puzzles and things like that. and But if you blink, the scene, it snaps and it goes straight to the next one. And it's really, it plays in the gameplay so well because you are sitting there basically trying to listen to what the people around you are saying, what the story, what's happening in the story, progressing it that way. And you're just trying not to blink because you don't want to go. You don't want to go to the next moment. And you blink, oh, damn it. I, like you can't, you can't not blink sometimes. And I think I worked out a way to cheese it. I sort of like tensed my eyes and half shut them and I was able to hold it a bit longer. I don't know if that's because I wasn't blinking or because it was harder for the, to, to track my eyelid shutting. Not quite sure. But by the end of this game, I was in tears. I was just so, so upset. And I think it's because of, you know, my, uh, I guess my situation now as far as being a dad. Um, because like where this story goes was just absolutely heartbreaking. It really was. And I really want to talk about it. I want to explain why. Um, I don't know whether to give a spoiler warning or not. I'm not quite sure. Let's give a spoiler warning. Two minutes. Give me two minutes. If you don't want to know what happens in Before Your Eyes, and if you want to play this game, I recommend doing a skip. And if your thumb is away from the skip button at the moment, I apologize. But I really want to talk about this game. So, spoiler warning, you've been warned before your eyes. Let's jump into it. So, what makes this game really special is just that the story is being told from a person that has died, that has passed away. And you're basically being taken to be put in front of a judge. To, to In some ways, it insinuates, you know, to go to heaven, pretty much, or just float endlessly in the sea. Um, it's a little bit of a weird premise, but that's, that's, that's not the important part. The important part is that you're going throughout this person's life from a little baby 
And the scenes when they were a little baby, I'm like, oh my God, this is this touches my heart so much because, you know, my son, he's pretty much that size. So I'm like, oh, this is what, this is what it's like when he's watching us walk around in that. And it was just really cool seeing that perspective in VR. And the story's progressing as it's going from, you know, a baby to a kid to an adult. And there's a there's a mother that's really pushing this kid to be a good pianist because he's showing just extreme skill in it. Uh, but, but they end up becoming an artist and really going well in it, putting art in museums and, you know, becoming really successful. And eventually like, you know, the, the mum gets sick and passes away. And like, wow, that's really sad. And I was, you know, I heard that it was a sad game. So when it came to that, I was expecting that to be the sad, sad part. But then you get sort of snap back to, you know, where you're going on trial for, um, to basically get into heaven. And the character that's a, assisting you says, you know, you've been lying. Let's go back and retrace your steps and figure out what happened. And it turns out that all of that was made up up to a certain point. So this kid goes from a baby, shows that he's really good at being a pianist, but then he gets sick and he, he stays at home, gets good at drawing, but eventually passes away from cancer, which was just absolutely heartbreaking when it shows you just like the potential, the dreams, the aspirations to the reality of what actually happened. It was just heartbreaking. I li- I literally just cried my guts out in, in a VR helmet and I took off, I like took off my VR goggles and, I, and we've got a mirror in our bedroom. I was playing in the bedroom and my face was, I was sweaty. I was crying. I was a mess and I haven't had that experience from a game and I don't know. I can't even remember how, crying like that that was absolutely heartbreaking and just sitting in vr was just just really really nailed at home so absolutely amazing um and a spoilers so definitely go and check out before your eyes if you haven't i hope i haven't spoiled it too much for you but even even hearing what i said then and you sort of know where the story is going i think it's just a really powerful experience to have in vr especially but it is on iOS and Android as well because it uses the camera on your phone so it's able to detect it that way but I can't see it being anywhere near as impactful um, than it was in VR but fantastic, fantastic game. Just uh, absolutely phenomenal. So really, really enjoyed uh, my gaming the last couple of weeks. Um, Really played some great games and the sort of uh, the ticker is counting down until Tears of the Kingdom. So I've got a few games that I want to get through. I want to get through Metroid Prime Remastered. I started that. I want to get through the first Pikmin game. I want to play through the first three Pikmin games before, t- uh, sorry, before Pikmin 4 at the end of July. Uh, a start of Age of Calamity, um, Horror Warriors. And uh, I-, I just want some Zelda goodness inside of me. And also want just an easy, no offense to Horror Warriors, but sort of a, a brain numbing game that I can play if I'm, um, you know, had a big day or something like that, I don't have to think about it too much. And uh, yeah, obviously Atelier Rise of 3 as well. I've got to get back to that. But we've got, we've got some projects to do until uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Because God forbid, once that comes out, nothing else is happening. Video game wise, anyway. I still got to go to work. I still got to cook tea. I still got to, I don't know, do whatever I got to do. But anyway, that's my gaming this week. Let's move on to the Guru Geek Out. This is where I pay tribute to my late friend, Bobby Pauls, the Nintendo Guru. And the first one's just a little basic one. Um, it's that uh, I got a basically a, a good little setup for recording podcasts and that out of the house. I have these like little clip-on microphones, but when they're clipped onto your like your chest, they sound fine, but they don't get the 
the audio that I'd really, really like from, um, you know, for doing podcasts and things like that. So I got like a little stick to put them on. A li- what's it called? A, uh, a road uh, interview go. And I've got, I don't have the road microphones, but they slot in perfectly. I've got the DGI um, clip on microphones and they clip in. And I've got look like a little reporter getting around and they'll be great to use at packs and other events for doing videos and podcasts. Um, but if there's a week, for example, where it's a little bit harder to do the show at home, um, I'll be able to literally park in the middle of the paddock on the farm and do a podcast from there. A little bit more editing as far as being away from a roadcaster and things like that. But I think it'd be pretty cool. I'm actually really looking forward to just sitting in the paddock on a nice day, just talking to myself. I have to go really remote so nobody sees me. It might be a little bit awkward if someone, um, my dad comes past. Like, what are you doing, my mate? I'm, like, oh, I'm recording a podcast, dad, to all of my admirers hello everybody anyway on tiktok we are doing dance dance i don't know i don't know what into, uh no i've got no idea anyway so yeah pretty excited about that another uh, geek out was uh josh uh visiting me um came down from adelaide and had an absolutely fantastic weekend with josh recording some uh, podcast content and uh, just hanging out and all that and he met my wife my family and it was a uh, really nice and uh I've got to say, you know, Josh, if you're listening, you know, Chantel was very impressed, you know, that you brought coffee over in the morning. You, you know, you, you know how to play your cards right, my friend, and you did a great job. So absolutely, absolutely love, um, love uh, you know, the people that I've met through doing uh, the podcasting and video games and all that. I think it's just a, a really great community we've uh, sort of got here as far as, uh, as far as like gaming and uh, podcasting and stuff. So it was uh, really nice that Josh was able to meet my family and especially nice because just the fact that he made, like he really went to that effort to come down and see me. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think of any of my other friends have made the effort. <laughs> so, you know, big, big thank you, Josh. I really do appreciate it, mate. And a shout out that I've got this week is um, uh, Blessing Adio Jr. from Kind of Funny. And Blessing, he joined Kind of Funny, I think a couple of years ago at this point. And for those that don't know, I absolutely love Kind of Funny. They're, a, a, I guess, a what do you want to call them? A, a video game YouTube group that do podcasts and things like that. I've been following them for forever and I really you know, enjoy their stuff, their discussions and all that. And, you know, they made like different hires across the years. And one of the last ones was a Blessing. And he's from the, I guess, uh, the underground video game <laughs> podcasting community as well. And I saw him like with OK Beast and he did great work with his own outlet and eventually it led him to get a job at kind of funny. But I always, you know, people like this who are at bigger places, I, you know, I think they do great work, but typically I'm never in the comments. I'm never saying anything. I'm like, Hey, blessing, you know, great review, whatever. But blessing was, he was talking on a Patreon exclusive podcast to do it kind of funny talking about basically that, you know, you know, all, all the shit that he cops and, you know, it's kind of expected when it comes to, I guess, being online. And that's something that that might be a problem. I would love the face one day if I could cop some shit because I'm popular enough, but hasn't happened yet. <laughs> that's not an excuse to go and give me shit either, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it sort of got me thinking, like, you know, I absolutely love what Blessing does. He's a, he's one of my favorite personalities that kind of funny, even though he's only been there a couple of years. My he talks about the games that I care about the most compared to a lot of the the other personalities that kind of funny, maybe except for Tim, he's a big Nintendo fan and uh, he plays a lot of games that I like, but you know, I'm a big Greg, uh, Greg Miller fan, for example, but you know, our sort of uh, 
taste for video games don't really line up. And that's fine. That's that's cool. I That's why I like listening to him, hearing about other things. But just a big shout out to Blessing. I think he's done absolutely fantastic work, taking the big step up to a place like Kind of Funny from his own independent um, video game outlet. And he's doing absolutely fantastic work. So I don't know. Normally I, I would go say, hey, go and say, go and say good work. But I don't know. I think he, he probably hears that enough, but maybe he doesn't. <laughs> but I just want to put my own two cents in there. I think he's absolutely fantastic and he's an absolutely great sort of uh, personality to have in the uh, in the video game space. I really, really do appreciate what he does. So big shout out to Blessing Adio Jr. Alrighty, let's jump into the news. There's plenty to talk about this week. I've got 13 stories. Some will be quick. Some might take a little bit longer. But uh, we'll work that out as we go. What do you say about that? The first story is the Super Mario Bros. movie surpasses 50. Oh, 50. Jesus, it didn't surpass 50. It surpassed $500 million worldwide and also is the biggest video game movie. So this is from Variety and the article reads, The Super Mario Bros. movie continues to be a box office high scorer. The video game adaptation has crossed a 500 million mark at the global box office, shattering records with the gusto that its title character usually amasses via power-ups. Yeah, okay, okay, Variety, calm down. Uh, to date, the animated adventure has earned over two, uh, 260.3 million domestically in the US. And uh, 248.4 million uh, internationally. That lifts its worldwide haul to 508.7 million. It's now the highest grossing film of 2023, both the global and domestic box office, surpassing Ant Man and The the Wasp. Um, it's putting its own context in there. It also makes the Super Mario Bros. movie the biggest video game adaptation in history, topping the gro- grosses of. Uh, Warcraft and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Uh, so they're just, you know, when it comes to like biggest video game adaptation, it's like, it's, that is a small bar to sort of jump across, I guess. But if you think about it as far as like the Warcraft, I remember that being a big deal. I'm not even remotely interested in Warcraft, so I can't say that I knew how good or bad or successful that movie was. But Detective Pikachu, it's a Pokemon movie, and Pokemon's already established in theatre, in anime, on your screen. So maybe in some ways it wasn't as exciting to get a Pokemon movie um, and didn't bring as many people into the theatres that way. But also it was, it was a live action movie, so I guess you know, that was pretty exciting when I went to watch Detective Pikachu. Don't don't undersell yourself, Drew. That was bloody exciting watching the <laughs> watching Detective Pikachu. But it's also like like the most successful animated film, which is <laughs> just ridiculous. That that is the interesting part when when it's beaten Frozen Two, which is just an absolutely was just a huge movie back when it came out, and just how popular Frozen One was going on to Frozen Two, and just like the Mario movies smashed past that already. That's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous um but it's really cool to see that you know something that is near and dear to our hearts that um you know we love super mario and um you know nintendo and things like that and just seeing how successful it is and how many people are sort of jumping on the bandwagon enjoying the movie and i really do hope a lot of these people that have watched this are from people that have never ever really played the games 
and uh, are enjoying it for the first time just in the theaters and maybe sharing it with kids or anything like that. So just absolutely tremendous. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm really quite happy with, uh, with the success. It's good because I yeah, quite enjoyed it. Like I said, another, uh, another article to go on to is uh, Peaches, the song from the Super Mario movie is eligible for the best original song nomination at the Oscars. This article is from My Nintendo News. The article reads, The Super Mario Bros. movie has been nothing short of a success for Illumination and Nintendo. In fact, all signs have been pointing to the movie being more successful than fans have ever expected. The movie could very well win awards in the future. One of them could be an Oscar. Uh, the, the reason for that is uh, Universal has confirmed to Variety that a song by Bowser in the movie, Peaches, is eligible to be submitted for an Oscar. If so, it will be in the running for Best Original Song. The song uh, was recently made into a video, uh, music video and released on YouTube. Uh, not, not only has it reached second in trending on music on the site, but the video has already surpassed 5 million views. <laughs> I find this funny because... The song's funny, like in the context of the movie, uh, it is Jack Black being Jack Black. And I really kind of appreciate just how Jack Black was able to unleash his Jack Black uh, in the Mario movie. And I never really thought about like, like seeing Jack Black from the School of Rock, but I wonder if, I wonder if, if uh, Bowser would do that. And he did. And it seems like Jack Black kind of, I dare say this isn't what happened, but it seems like he just walked into the studio and went, oh, peaches, peaches, peaches. And he just did his thing. And it's it's funny for like the context of a kid's movie, but like an Oscar for best original song. Sure, you know, sure, why not? But surely not. <laughs> surely not. Maybe um, maybe as far as uh, it latching on the pop culture and you know you can make other sort of arguments for why it should be the, the winner of that award, but I don't know. As far as like the context out of the movie, I'm not quite sure. But as far as uh, people that are disappointed for having not having their credits in the movie, this is another article from Nintendo Life and the legendary DK rap composer disappointed his, his missing from the Super Mario credits. The article reads, the Super Mario movie has fi- is finally out and we are preparing for the internet to soon become awash with hidden references and spoiler talk. One of the film's aspects immediately brought to attention, however, is that the credits in which it seems that Rareware composer uh, Grant uh, Kirkhope has not been included despite the iconic DK rap um, featuring in the film. Uh, if you do not go into the Mario movie completely blind without any knowledge of when the track appears, it suggests watching the film uh, before you head into this article. Okay, so yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> I sort of assume that majority of people that have wanted to watch the movie have, um, but of course, yeah. yeah. I don't want to spoil the movie, but at the same time, this stuff is just out there. It's so prominent. You would have had to be living under a rock. Um, but anyway, uh, Kirk Tope, Kirk Hope, Kirk Tope, <laughs> uh, took to Twitter shortly after the film's release to a comment on the fact that he's missing from the film's credits. This is despite the DK rap playing a pretty prominent role during the Donkey Kong's introduction in the Kong Kingdom, during which the chorus line of DK Donkey Kong is repeatedly chanted while the music played underneath. The credits themselves list the track as from Donkey Kong 64, completely removing the composer from the situation and drawing the following disappointed response from Kirkhope, in which he didn't seem surprised by the omission. Quote, 
I was really looking forward to seeing my name on the credits for the DK rap, but alas, as expected, it's not there. FML, end quote. Kirk Hope's disappointment as the latest line of creators being omitted from the credits despite their prior work on the projects. Back in February, a number of Metroid Prime creators uh, revealed that they felt let down by the remasters credits in which they were similarly grouped under a singular game's title. With the music composition now... Uh, now so easy to source we struggle to understand why kirk hope is missing from the credits this this uh, his work does play a small but prominent role in the film after all so we see a lot of these articles now that you know people are missing from credits we saw it with the last of us uh, tv show as well where one of the the main creators of that of that franchise was not credited in the credits um, and Metroid Prime and now um, the Super Mario Bros. movie. And I guess Devil, Devil's Advocate in some ways, if they earn the credits, are they entitled to royalties or anything or money, which, you know, there was no contracts or anything, any of that boring blah, blah, legal stuff uh, that taken taken place? Not quite sure. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm, I'm obviously not in the industry and I can't comment on that. But when it comes to just being like, this person created this thing, and it lives on forever, and now it's uh, a part of Donkey Kong lore, and it plays in this huge film. It would have just been nice to pay homage to to, to Grant. It would have been just a really nice thing to do, and especially since he's such a, just an iconic composer in the video game industry, still doing stuff with Mario Plus Rabbids and Ukulele and a bunch of uh, just phenomenal ph- phenomenal video game music. So it's a it's a shame that um, he wasn't. Uh, it wasn't shown in the credits, especially when like other like music that they they used in the movie, they they said who that was by. They put the credits fine for that, and they just comes to the DK rap, and it just says from the game. It's like what? I don't know. Disappointing to say the least. I don't know exactly why it did that, but it's a shame. I I, I hope this is a problem that uh, these companies sort of focus on a little bit more and sort of work out a way to actually you know, credit the creatives behind it because, um, you know, the creative people, the people that are driving all of this, um, we wouldn't have any of it without them. So do better, do better, Nintendo. Come on, mate. Come on, Illumination. What are you doing? Next up, we got an article from Vooks.net. The next Splatoon Splatfest is the Legend of Zelda themed. Isn't that exciting? The article reads, now there's a Splatfest theme. The next theme is based on the Legend of Zelda and you can pick from Team Power, Wisdom or Courage. There will also be a special stage uh, for this Splatfest. When it's time for the tr- uh, Tricolor Turf War, there's a new stage. The plat- <laughs> there's a new stage. The Splatfest will run from May 6th to May 8th, just in time for Tears of the Kingdom. So just the week before. Isn't that exciting? There's also a special edition Splatoon Plus uh, Cross uh, the Legend of Zelda shirts coming. They are three new designs, one representing the teams you can pick from. They'll be available here in Australia and New Zealand from the My Nintendo store and you can pre-order them from Tuesday, April 18th. And uh, very, very excited for that. You can also get Splatoon 3 for 33% off on the Nintendo Wii shop. And I'm pretty excited for this. Uh, I haven't pl- picked up Splatoon 3 in a long time. The last few Splatfests, I couldn't, I couldn't care less about representing team, was it Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or Zombies? I don't care. I couldn't care less. I got no uh, no stake in the game whatsoever. But when it comes to the Triforce, it's a very, very important aspect of our day-to-day lives. We must fight for 
our piece of triangle that we want to represent. And when it comes to the the Triforce that I want to represent, it comes down to it comes down to courage. I'm not. I don't have much wisdom, so no one's going to uh, give me the Triforce of wisdom. Power. I'm not that strong, but courage. God, God, I've got some courage, everybody. I've got so much courage. Uh, you better look out if you if you if you wrong me, I'll come and I'll, I'll come hit you with my sword, just like Link would. Don't you worry about that. So I'll be representing courage, and uh, I'd like to hear what you guys um you guys are representing as far as the the Splatfest as well, and whether any of you will pick up these shirts. These shirts look really cool. Uh, the the Triforce, but the, the I guess the Triforce that is not represented. Um, they got like Splatoon patterns and sort of like um, splat inks all over the all over the Triforce and one sleeve says Splatoon. The other one's got the Hylurian crest from the Legend of Zelda. Look really nice. So definitely keen to pick up one of these. They probably will be like 50 bucks. <laughs> like the, the merch on the My Nintendo store is so expensive, but it is what it is. We need, we need, need to pay the cash as far as, uh, as, far as that goes. Next up, we got some more Mario uh, news, and this one is Mario's theme is now being preserved alongside Led Zeppelin, Madonna, and more. And the article reads from kotaku.com.au. The National Recording Registry, part of the Library of Congress, is a collection of songs and scores that are culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant and or inform and reflect life in the United States. This is the stuff selected by experts and historians that will be stored and preserved so that future generations can listen to the most important music of our time. And in April 2023, a collection uh, has its first piece of video game music. As, pa- as uh, part of the 2023 class, alongside, alongside Madonna's Like a Virgin, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, and uh, what's her name? Maria Carly's. Well, I can't say I've heard of that. I know the song though. All I want for Christmas is you and flash dance song and uh, flash dance song. Koji Kon- Koji Kondo's uh, the uh, <laughs> the Super Mario Bros theme is also known as ground uh, as ground theme was selected. The registry explained the selection as quote perhaps the most recognizable video game music in history is Koji Kondo's main motif for the t- uh, nineteen. 19- 85 Nintendo classic Super Mario Bros. Helped establish the game's legendary status and vast musical complexity and creativity. The game's main theme or grand theme um, has a Latin-influenced melody that provides the perfect uh, accomplishment... Accomplice... I can't can't get to that. Uh, Whatever. I I cannot get it out for some reason. So tomorrow in Luigi's side-scrolling hijinks. Kondo's score laid the groundwork for an entire generation of chiptune musicians and has been performed by orchestras around the globe, benefiting its status as one of the most beloved uh, musical uh, compositions for the last past uh, 40 years. Oh God, I fell through that one. (laughs) Words are getting hard to come out of my mouth, apparently, when it comes to reading that article. Um, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool that, you know, video game music, it's being re- represented how it should be. And when it comes to like the Mario, Mario music, it's just, it's be it's so iconic. It just transcends like video game nerds like myself or like you, um, just everybody knows it. Even if like, you're like video games are silly and they're for kids, you play the Mario theme, you know exactly where it's from. So just kudos, congratulations to Nintendo and Koji Kondo for, for having, uh, you know, their work just represented in, um, 
a prestigious place like this. And I, I, I don't know how many Americans are like, oh, the Library of Congress, what a fantastic, fantastic uh, thing that is. I don't know. I'm Australian. I've got no idea, but it sounds cool to me. A bunch of politicians like, yeah, I know. Mario is, congratulations. I'll listen to it on my iPod. Got no idea. Next up, we've got news of a live event from Nintendo in Seattle. So Nintendo Live 2023 is to take place in the US this year. This is from Vooks.net. Nintendo is taking its Nintendo Live in-person events outside of Japan for the first time. This time they're heading down, uh, just down the road from Nintendo of America's headquarters and having it in Seattle, Washington in North America. Like the Japanese events, there will be hands-on gameplay, live stage performances, photo ops, and gaming tournaments. What games will be demoed? Uh, who or what will be performing and exactly when it is, is to be announced. As far as the event is being penciled in for September 2023. Quote, At Nintendo Live 2023 in Seattle, attendees will experience a wide variety of Nintendo-inspired activities inspired activities across large-scale themed areas. People of all ages and gaming experiences are encouraged to attend since the experience is designed for both families and fans in mind. Whether you are a lifelong Nintendo enthusiast who knows your like-likes from... <laughs> like-likes? From... Uh, uh, oh, God, what's his name? I can't I can't read it. for Lakutus? Lakutus? I'm not sure. Obviously, I don't know that. Or someone new to the world of Nintendo, everybody's invited to have fun. <sighs> During the event, visitors will be able to celebrate the world of Nintendo, taking part in Nintendo Switch gameplay, enjoying live entertainment, cheering on high-energy gaming tournaments, and taking unforgettable photos with recognizable characters like Mario and Luigi, along many other activities. End quote. So... This, uh, this sounds really awesome. I'm very jealous of anybody who's able to attend this. I'm probably not going to make the trip all the way over to Seattle from the southeast of South Australia. But anybody, I've got to say this to anybody who lives in America. If you want to go to this, go to this. This will be the first of its kind. It will, be, it will get better. It will get grander as time goes on. But as far as being able to experience it at the ground floor, the, you know, the first time in Tunnel of America is doing it in the U.S., It'd be really special. And what's really special about just gaming conventions in general is just meeting up with thousands and thousands and thousands of like-minded people that are like, video games are cool. And if you're at work and you never talk about games because everyone's just like, oh, they're for kids or whatever, but then you can go to this massive sort of convention and meet people and play games and have a bunch of fun. And PAX, for that very reason, is amazing. But... Imagine that being condensed down to like your fan base, not not like a bunch of other fan bases that are sort of connected in some weird ways. Like when we go to PAX, you know, see someone's cosplaying as a World of Warcraft character, for example. I'm like, oh, I got no idea who the hell you are. I couldn't get, care less about War- World of Warcraft personally. Um, you know, it's just other games and that, but like you find like your, your I guess, your group of people. And this is exactly what this is going to be. And it's going to be really special to like meet up with... Um, like yeah, just uh, people who just really love Nintendo, and you can see like the different aspects of Nintendo fandom from tournaments with Super Smash Brothers and Mario Kart and these competitive games, or you might just want to go there with your child and just you know, go, hey, look, it's Mario in a, and he's, you can get a photo of Mario. Isn't that fun? <laughs> it's just it's going to be so special getting all these different types of people from all walks of life together to really share the love for Nintendo. So. 
I'd love to see this in Australia, a little bit closer to me. It will be Sydney still, so that'll be a bit of a trip. But honestly, guys, uh, if you need to save up some cash or whatever, I'd say, you know, give it a go. Go, go. Live like a, live like tomorrow. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> go and check it out. It looks looks like a lot of fun. Um, and if it's not that good, just don't go the next year. It's all good. But yeah, very jealous of everybody in the States. So my good friend Ash Wallace is actually... Uh, he sent me a message this morning saying, hey, I'm actually going to be in Seattle this time of year. So I'm going to go. I'm like, God damn. Very jealous. Very jealous. Very jealous. Um, but he'll be my man on the ground. So I'll be able to hear from him what the event was like. So I'm excited for that. All right. Take a bit of a water break here. Get the water boy here. Have a drink. Might even blow my nose. Tell you what. I got through this far without a cough. This that was amazing. Let me uh, let me mute for a little bit. Ah, look, look at that little pit stop. That was quick, wasn't it? That was good. <laughs> Let's move on to the next story. Nintendo hunts down Zelda Tears of the Kingdom linker linker <laughs> on Discord. Leak it on Discord. This is from Torrent Freak. The article reads, as Nintendo's official website for the Switch game, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom states, the adventure begins on the uh, on May 12th, uh, officially at least. The hotly anticipated sequel to Legend of Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild will go on sale next month in digital... Inf- what the hell is this? <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I uh, must, have pre- must have copied like just, I don't know what that is, but let's start again. On February 20th, 2023, Eurogamer reported on a 200-page art book that had been leaked online containing details of new characters, enemies, enemy types, and locations. Quote, it is currently unclear how this art book managed to leak. So far in advance, uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom um, before uh, the official launch of the Tears of the Kingdom. The publication noted at the time. Two months later, it's, cl- it's clear that A, Nintendo is very aware of the leak and B, they have a very specific internet user in mind as the potential leaker. On February t- uh, February 21st, Nintendo of America sent a DMCA notice to Discord. The complaint targeted a Discord channel's name under Tears of the Kingdom official Discord server. <laughs> the notice went, uh, went to a target six specific URLs featuring the images and links <laughs> links uh, to images from a Nintendo's copyright protected and unreleased special edition art book for the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom video game in violation of Nintendo's rights. Just eight minutes after the takedown notice was sent, uh, was sent to Discord, the platform acknowledged the complaint and told Nintendo that the content will be removed promptly. Around 10 hours after sending the uh, internal takedown notice, um, Nintendo followed up with a request for immediate review and takedown of of the Discord channel, noting that the members were still uh, distributing uh, pre-release artwork using direct message and links. Additionally, some members have been assigned the role of the PDF pirate which indicates them as the source of the PDF's files for infringing um, art book images. Uh, for the review, we all, we uh, have also provided screenshots for the server, um, the members, and a brief description highlighting their activities in, in the server. So, 
this this was annoying a couple of months ago how you know the art book from the special edition was leaked online and we're like oh no we don't, we really don't want to know much i don't want to see like the final form of the last boss and all of this thing um i was talking to bryce about it actually and he said he, he looked at him and there's like, he said there's really nothing in there to really spoil him. was there like you know final bosses was there like you know all of this stuff you really don't want to see until you're playing the game and he said no not really and i don't know what what his level of spoiler sort of what would be a spoiler to him, but he really didn't seem to think there was much in there to really worry about too much. So, okay, that's interesting. I personally haven't come across anything from the art book. So that's interesting. But just the idea of like, imagine if you found a copy and you're sharing it with people in Discord and uh, not long after Nintendo's like, all right, we're going to fuck you up. And they're actually asking for like the information of like who this person specifically is from Discord. And uh, that's, uh, that's crazy. So, uh, you know, good luck to them. Hope they hope they survive. <laughs> I hope they go well. But, um, yeah, Nintendo is after them. So. And we all know how, how you know, cheeky Nintendo can be. They, like, e- even with the House of Mario, we, um, you know, just go on, like, these, uh, these t- T-shirt printing websites. We cannot get away with printing our logo on a T-shirt because we have, like, you know, the Power Star and a couple of other things in there. It says, like, a Nintendo podcast at the bottom we cannot get away with um, the copyright for selling our logo. And in some ways, I don't know, fair enough, I guess. But when it comes to like really pissing them off when it's just like they're not sharing anything, but then it leaks oh, for a Legend of Zelda game. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hope it was worth it. <laughs> Hope it was worth it. Right, let's move on to some Pokemon news. And uh, the first story isn't too positive. And uh, this was from a couple of weeks ago, but I still wanted to touch on on the show. The Pokemon Go community uh, is in the open revolt over changes to remote raid, remote raiding. Okay, and this is from Games Radar. The article reads: Last week, Pokemon Go developer Niantic shared a post about an announced uh, that announced uh, a number of changes coming to the remote raid pass feature in the mobile game. Remote raid passes were introduced back in 2020. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic and allowed players to participate in local raids from the safety of their homes. Now in April, 2023, Niantic wants to uh, begin making these remote raid passes less desirable by increasing how much they cost to purchase with in-game currency. Limiting the amount of remote raid passes trainers can take part in, uh, uh, take part in, take part in to go no more than five per day uh, and other measures. Shortly after this was revealed, Pokemon Go players called for others to stop supporting Niantic uh, due to the new changes and how they would affect players that rely on the remote raid passes. A number of people within the Pokemon Go community shared an open letter to Niantic as well as started a change.org petition to slightly alter the changes which will come into place on April 6th, 2023. The letter and the petition, which have been shared by uh, several prominent figures within the community, such as Joe Merrick from Cerebi and Pokemon Jungle, and read, quote, We want Pokemon Go to succeed, and we want to be able to play this game that we love for many years to come. The letter continues, Unfortunately, we as a whole feel unheard. Time and time again, our questions go unanswered. Our concerns are not addressed. And most importantly, our needs are not taken into pr- uh, proper consideration, end quote. Uh, the authors of this letter have suggested that Niantic's decision to cause harm to royal, rural players, uh, trainers with disabilities, and trainers who have severe uh, 
uh, social anxiety and trainers who work at work night shifts, trainers who are single parents and several other people. Uh, the rest of the letter proposes alternative changes Niantic can make, make uh, which instead of making remote passes more difficult to use, could reward players significantly for doing in-person raids. With rewards such as guaranteed XL rare candy, increased lucky friend odds, and offering offering premium items such as incubators and star pieces. I'm sure that makes a lot of sense for people that do not play the game. Uh, the letter uh, concludes, We are sad, distraught, and discouraged because of, of our interactions with our global friends. We'll no longer be free to accommodate for every type of global Pokemon Go trainer. At the end of writing this, the Save Remote Rating in Pokemon Go petition has got over 90, uh, 94,305 signatures at the time of its uh, 75,000 goal. And these, it frustrates me. There's a, there's a lot of things that are going on as far as what I'm feeling about this. And I love Pokemon Go. It could be one of my favorite Pokemon games, not because of its gameplay or anything like that, but because you're able to interact with the Pokemon world, you're able to collect and explore and that through your phone. And it's just so easy to open up and interact with the game that way. And during the pandemic in 2020, I really fell in love with Pokemon Go. And that was purely because there wasn't a lot to do. There was a bunch of people, you know, making communities on our, on like Facebook messenger and things like that. And I was able to meet a lot of people through that just in my local town who were playing Pokemon Go and they introduced remote raid passes. So you didn't have to go next to people and, you know, get COVID. And I thought that was really great. And it really sort of saved the game in my eyes, how I was able to interact with the software when it comes to living in a small rural town. Our town has like 4,000 people, not many, not many poker stops, stuff spread out. And maybe if you're like living in Sydney or a big city, you go to a park and there's literally hundreds of them. There wouldn't even, wouldn't even be a hundred in our town. Like it's so spread out and doing raids is an absolute nightmare. And now with like daylight savings where it gets like dark, like six o'clock. And that's when, um, like it's it's time to do uh, like raid hour, for example. It goes from six to seven, I believe. It's been a little, little while. And that's when like, you know, you can get legendary Pokemon or some cool stuff and you sort of, you know, you gang up and you take down these Pokemon. It's a lot of fun. But at six o'clock, am I able to like go out the house, go in the dark, go in the cold and just like sit in the car or whatever and play my phone that that's not ideal that's not going to happen i'm not going to interact with your game that way it's, it's certainly not going to happen even if i wanted to do that you know i've got a family but we're you know we're sitting down having tea and we're organizing stuff <laughs> so remote remote raid passes were great i was able to stay home um do a you know jump in and uh, you know tap my phone while i'm cooking tea or eating tea or whatever have you and it really saved the game as far as as far as interacting with it. And it was, uh, it made me really love it. And I spent a lot of money just like month to month. Just, I put my, might've been putting like 30 to $40 a month, just, you know, buying um, events and items and more storage. And I didn't mind it because I was really getting value out of what they were doing. I really enjoyed it. Um, but these changes, you know, they've been doing, they've been sort of reverting back for, I don't know, the past year, just reverting back some of these changes that made the game great. And, it's so frustrating and it made it made the game less enjoyable for me and I've just fallen off. I don't play Pokemon Go anymore. And sort of uh, the cutting back of remote raid passes because this won't be the last cut either. We will, you know, get it to the point where you probably can't even get them. 
And so it's just kind of completely destroyed the game for me. And it sucks because it was so much fun, like participating in the events and all that. And I really did enjoy it. And the community days, I used to be like, all right, this community day is coming up in a couple of weeks. I want to try and make that make that afternoon free so I can go and go for a walk, listen to some podcasts. Just, you know, get, I really enjoyed just like going on walks and having like a bit of peace and quiet. So that was just a great little little activity to do on walks and things. It was really fun. But um, all of that sort of, sort of gone just with their changes. And it's frustrating because they don't care about their community. This is a commu- community-driven game. This is about people going out and meeting people and their community is obviously asking, like, this was a great thing. And even people, if they prefer doing that, there are people that don't have access because through a disability, there's people who, you know, this article touches on it where they might not be able to get there because of certain work conditions or family or, you know, there's so many things that, like, we can't participate in raids, but through this item we can do it. And I think their sort of suggestion of, having better rewards for being there in person. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. If you make the effort to go and meet up in person, that, that's great. But just cutting it back like this is, it just it just kind of sucks. It, it, you know, and the community is not happy about it. And it's, it's purely because Pokemon Go is just a data collection just for tracking you and getting information about your area. And it goes back and they're able to sell it to whoever they want to sell it to. And we all know that. That's fine. <laughs> I think most of us will be like, you know, you can you can take my information. You give me a fun game along the way, but when you're getting like this greedy, it's like, oh, come on, guys, kind of a kind of look after the the folks who brought you to where you are. You know, it was a massive success in 2016, but the people that are there now are, you know, not not going to take sh- stuff like this forever. At least I hope not. Anyway, so frustrating, and it's it makes me think about the Pokemon sort of the products that they're really pushing at the moment, just like on mobile. And like when it comes to like sharing the Pokemon series with my son, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And it, he might not be into it, but if he is, you know, I've got a lot to sort of offer as far as like, you know, we're going to have so much fun just playing Pokemon and that. And that's what Bryce is experiencing with his daughter at the moment. And it's, uh, it's really beautiful to watch. It looks like a lot of fun. And she's put like over a hundred hours into Scarlet and Violet. It's really cool. Um, but when it comes to like some of these mobile products, like, so, so, all right, he, here's a phone, the little Jimmy, like, do you want to play Pokemon Go? It's like, well, it's just, it's just, that's probably like the better option, honestly, but there's some weird decisions just made by the higher ups there that make the game less fun. But when it comes to like Pokemon Masters, it's just, it's just begging for money. Like it just wants to suck, suck you dry through like random drops and things like that. And then like Pokemon Unite, which I was like, this is fun, man. Like I'll get the season pass. I'll get the battle pass. And it wants you to put so much time into it. And it's just ridiculous. Like it wants to take your whole life. Like just to spend like the amount of money it's asking for like a $40, for like a Venusaur in a, in a swimsuit. It's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I know that's like skins in general, like Fortnite and everything. That's just something I'm not that familiar with. Cause I don't, I don't subscribe to that, that stuff, <laughs> that, that type of video game. It's just, it seems like a waste of time and money, which uh, honestly I feel like it is, but it's a little bit sad just the state of the Pokemon products at the moment. We've got like the big RPG, which is, you know, it came out in the state that it is. I think that's a, kind of a bit of an insult just uh, that we, you know, that we're going to buy stuff like that and we do, but it's uh, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking in some ways. And just the, the whole spin-off situation on Switch, we've got like a remake of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. We got a brand new Pokemon Snap, which was pretty cool. 
but we really haven't got much as far as spin-off content. And I'd, I'd like to see Pokemon just like make some good quality software for Switch that can, you know, that can be for kids and, you know, Pokemon fans like myself, but we can all enjoy and have fun with and just concentrate less on this, this cash grab on mobile. I think it's great. I think it's great. Have the cash grabs on mobile, like have them, but they're not balancing it out with other software that really sort of shows where their money is. Like they, the amount of money that the Pokemon company have in like Game Freak and Nintendo as like an entity that make up the Pokemon company, it's ridiculous. Just what those, what what's happening over there. I don't understand why, why their products are, dare I say, so poor. Don't understand why. And I love Pokemon. I love Pokemon so much. And I loved my time with Pokemon Violet and Scarlet. But just like the technical aspect of that game was just, it's ridiculous how poor it was. It was just whatever. And every every single time like something like this happens, um, I'm like, just, uh, just a bit frustrated. But uh, anyway, let's move on to some more Pokemon news. And this one is just a bit of information about Creatures Inc., which is uh, owns a third of the Pokemon company. And Creatures Inc. Uh, undertakes a significant change in leadership. And this is from Nintendo Life. The article reads, Creatures Inc. is a partial owner of the Pokemon franchise alongside Game Freak and Nintendo and has uh, undertaken a significant change in leadership spotted by Cerebi webmaster Joe Merrick. Uh, uh, in a Shib... Ishihabara, yes, Ishihabara in and uh, and Hip must be his nickname in Hip uh, Tanaka have stepped down. <laughs> butchering that name, uh, has stepped down as CEO and president of Creatures Inc. respectively, with uh, uh, Kuji Kantaro st- uh, stepping in as CEO and president and president uh, Komotaka Komorua <laughs> as executive vice president. The newly appointed posts are all, uh, also highlighted on the official Creatures Inc. website. While the change will likely have no uh, material impact on the day-to-day operations of Creatures Inc. Uh, or its uh, contribution to the Pokemon franchise, the shakeup is certainly an interesting one. At the time of writing, uh, Tetsuna uh, Ishihabara remains the president and CEO of the Pokemon Company. However, his departure from his post at Creatures Inc. does raise some questions as to his immediate future with the Pokemon Company. Some fans will likely recognize Ishihabara as the host of uh, host of the major Pokemon Presents showcases. We currently have no reason to believe that anything further will change in the foreseeable future, and the recent shakeup will likely. Uh, will likely concede with the new uh, 2024 physical year in Japan. So interesting, just, uh, you know, we've got a bit of a shake-up as far as you know, Creatures Inc. And I think Creatures is usually like the overlooked uh, sort of holder of the Pokemon franchise. You know, a lot of that, there's been some spin-off games from Creatures as well as like a lot of like the 3D models and the assets come from Creatures for the Pokemon games. So interesting that, um, yeah, step down, but also still president of... Um, of the Pokemon company itself. So pretty cool. We'll, um, we'll see how that goes and see maybe in the upcoming months or year or so if uh, Ishihabara is uh, still still going on, still going strong on the Pokemon company. But uh, I don't know. If he goes, I hope uh, someone shakes it up and like I said, <laughs> maybe, uh, ask, maybe put some money into their products a little bit more. Okay. Next one is uh, something that uh, I haven't heard many other podcasts touch on, but I have seen it online. And this is a, 
a little bit of a tougher one for me to cover. Uh, I don't usually like stepping into these conversations whatsoever, but we will touch on it because I think it's important as far as the uh, the community goes. We've seen a lot of uh, discourse online, but without a, without a stalling any longer, let's get into it. So the article is Pokemon TCG Company, a community rally behind disqualified player after pronoun mishap. And this is from esports.gg. The article reads, a a disqualification from the Charlotte Pokemon Regional has become a hot topic in the Pokemon TCG community. A player has been left shaken up after getting disqualified and kicked out of Charlotte Pokemon TCG Regional over an alleged miscommunication. Tran recently took to Twitter to share their experience at the Charlotte Regionals over the weekend, getting a getting very emotional about what had taken place. According to his tweet longer, Tran felt wrongly disqualified from the tournament due to a judge allegedly mistaking his nervousness for offensive behavior. Tran was set to participate on stream against one of America's best players, Alex uh, Chemansky, a pretty nerve-wracking situation for a long player. Like previous regionals, judges asked for players' pronouns so they could include them on screen and also have the commentators properly identify them. According to Tran, he nervously fumbled over his pronouns, starting to laugh after he forgot the word his. Uh, When asked to confirm his pronouns just before the stream began, Tran, was it Tran, 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 uh, repeated he, him, laughing again out of nervousness. Quote, The little laugh at the end was because I was trying not to be awkward and because I was just stating the exact same thing Alex uh, just had stated and that it was kind of, uh, it was uh, kind of silly to me in that scenario, he wrote. The judge, however, appeared to think Tran or Tran (laughs) was mocking the use of his, of, uh, of pronouns. They apparently told Tran that they let, uh, that they go by they and told him not to be a jerk about it. Pretty soon into the match, Tran and uh, Shemansky were pulled off the stage and informed that another pair would be on the stream instead. Tran thought that it was a desk error at first, or deck error, sorry, um, at first, but soon found out it was because of his previous behavior while stating his pronouns. Tran stated that he stayed calm and tried to explain that he actually, what he actually meant, but the judge... Um, then informed him that he'd been disqualified. After his emotional twit longer, Tran uh, admitted to bawling his eyes out over the uncomfortable and disheartening situation. Many Pokemon players come forward to his defense, including Shemansky himself, who had witnessed most of what had happened and went down. He stated that Tran shouldn't have been disqualified, but but also stated uh, that the judge may have viewed the interaction differently. Quote, Remember, y'all, this <laughs> this isn't an excuse to attack inclusivity and people's identity, he added. Many people asked Shemansky if trans, uh, trans uh, behavior could be truly come off as offensive. He responded that his tone and speech patterns could have been seen as offensive, but knowing trans, Shemansky said that he knew that the younger player didn't mean any harm and had no malicious intent. Meanwhile, Tran admitted to the situation 
that the situation left him shaken up to the extent where he revisited suicidal feelings. At the time, he felt everything had been stolen from him and wrote that he didn't feel listened to at all. Tran wrote, quote, The way I was treated, treated made me feel so upset um, so unf- and I was treated so unfairly that I was nearly running into the middle of the road getting ran over. Jesus Christ. I wanted it all to be over. I was just done with everything there. Uh, was no point of anything for me. My dream of winning a regional with my own deck, with my own deck I'd put so much time and work into, was just taken from me. I missed school. I lost hundreds of dollars. I traveled across the country for what? Nothing. It was all for nothing. I've been completely lost. Uh, I've been... I'm being completely honest and everyone with everyone when I say that I've never been this upset in my entire life, end quote. It's still unclear of what happened bet- between Tran and the judge and handling the situation. It is uh, handling the situation is what has had many Pokemon players frustrated. This is not the first time that staff at a regional tournament have been called out for inconsistent inconsistent in their treatment of players from improperly dealing with players with disabilities to accusing of transphobic behavior. The Pokemon TCG players are calling for the Pokemon company to acknowledge the ongoing problems with the judges and other staff at regionals. And that's the end of the article. And the Pokemon, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Twitter account or the players um, Twitter account did address this um, in some way. I don't have the quote pulled up right here. It probably should. But uh, this was this was heartbreaking to to see, and it's a it's it's a difficult topic to to tackle. It really is. I I, I don't want to um you know put this energy out there. Um, but when it comes to inclusivity, I think it's important. I think it's in, super important for a company like Pokemon. Pokemon just has so many people from all different walks of life. And we, we really do see this when it comes to the video game championships and the TCG championships as well. Where you see people from all over the world coming together to share and bask in their love of Pokemon. The competitive nature, I think it's beautiful to watch. A couple of years ago, we were watching like a little girl just like dominate the, <laughs> dominate the tournament. And she, was, she would have wiped the floor with me. And she would have been like, I don't know, six years old. It was just amazing to watch and just the fact that people from all walks of life can come together to just celebrate the franchise and people can watch it as like a competitive sport and um you know pokemon's very special i think it's great how it transcends generations much like a lot of a lot of mario and other nintendo franchises it's really special and um it fits in with you know what nintendo was all about and of course it's extremely important as well that transgender people are represented well and that, um, you know, I think it's a good thing for the judges, like, you know, ask for pronouns and that, you know, when it's a live stream in front of thousands of people, that they can be identified as the people that they identify as, which is, which is great. And it's important that, um, you know, they get asked. Um, in the case of, uh, of Tran here, where it's like, when it's uh, like a 17-year-old boy, when you're, you know, you're thinking about your game, what you're going to what strategies you're going to use for your deck. You're going to be in front of thousands of people. And he mentioned in his tweet longer that it's not the first time if it has been live streaming, but you know, it's still very daunting. I could imagine myself like competing in front of that many people, like being live streamed. It'll be, it'll be a difficult thing. It really would. So I, I can, I can relate to just the, the aspect of when he's getting nervous and he's not like, he's not thinking about his, his pronouns necessarily. He's thinking about his game. He's not, he, 
he probably doesn't really care if he's what he's referred to <laughs> particularly he just wants to try and win and take down a take down um one of the best players in the pokemon tcg and uh become become champion which is which is great i think it's just like the fact that he took that much initiative to travel and get his deck together i think it's great i think it's what it's what makes pokemon really cool but when it comes to just like the reaction from the judge the pokemon company it's uh it's really it's sad it's really sad and um it's kind of just where our culture is especially online at the moment where we really as understanding as we want to be even if we've got like a couple of questions a couple of concerns about the the whole transgender um you know thing going on um even if you've got a couple of questions you know you're ult- you're just deemed as transphobic one of the worst people in the world and we saw that saw that with hogwarts legacy and a lot of people are just like i come home from work i want to enjoy myself and uh you know i don't particularly believe that this game's going to really harm trans people i like trans people i know trans people i just want to play my goddamn harry potter game <laughs> and if that's the that's the your your opinion that's um i don't think that's particularly hurting anybody but when it's to the point where it's like did you laugh did you laugh at me asking your pronouns? Like, no, I'm a 17-year-old kid, man. I'm here to play Pokemon. I'm really not here to make fun of a marginalized group. I'm really, I don't think that's what this boy, this minor was here at the Pokemon <laughs> TCG regionals to do. Like, I think everybody can be like, oh, he didn't rock up to cause trouble. He didn't rock up to be an asshole. Um, and he's probably just got respect for, for you know trans people i'm sure he does um i think majority of people just like you know do your thing man just live your best life personally for me when it comes to that thing i just want people to be their best self and if you're a pokemon player or a nintendo fan man you're a good friend of mine don't you worry about that but when it comes to like really having to walk on eggshells and you see stuff like this like just automatically halfway through a game just like making the decision and doing it just in public in front of people like that it wasn't um it wasn't before a game, so nobody knew about it. It wasn't nipped in the bud. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a little thing. After it was like, hey mate, like, just 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 for next time, just just know that um, that body language could be shown as offensive to you know people who identify as another sex, and that's all it needed to be. It could be a nice learning experience for like a, like a young man to be just more respectful to other walks of life. Um, but no, it was in the middle of the game, turn off the stream, mate, you're out. We don't give a shit. And it's, and it's just really, it's sad. Like I, I, can't, I can't really say it any other way. And it doesn't, it doesn't really just how, how sensitive a lot of this topic can be, how we can't talk about it, how we can't bring up, um, even the smallest concern or question, how we can't show any other sort of body signs i don't know it's just how this kid's sort of body language is automatically taken as like the most offensive just derogatory thing even though like you know the judge obviously had had his own agenda or sorry had their own agenda being um you know describing themselves as they for their pronouns so it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult thing in some ways, but I feel so sorry for for this for this young man. And um, 
some I, I don't know I, I can't do anything about it I can't put my voice out there if if I just had like some constructive criticism or whatever it's um I'll, I'll be just I'll be you know told to I'm a I'm an awful person or whatever but I, I really just I really just want everybody to just do their thing be themselves um but there are some aspects of of this thing that are sort of eating into um you know other people's lives as well and it obviously um, the discourse around it and how it's just cancel culture has just sort of taken over, um, I guess, online discourse. And in this case, discourse in real life, it was just automatically just like, you're done, you're out, you suck. And it's done to a, like a young boy who I think uh, if there's any sort of group, the Pokemon company to really look after, who really need to cater to, it's, it's minors, it's kids who are participating in person for a Pokemon card tournament. They shouldn't be embarrassed like this. And uh, I hope this is a learning experience for the Pokemon company and uh, for what they do at regionals. But um, heartbreaking. It really uh, really kind of is. So, Tran, I hope you're going well, mate. I hope, uh, hope you continue to participate and uh, kick ass at the next one. But I think some people maybe jumped to uh, some pretty horrific conclusions for uh, maybe some body language you were showing through your nervousness. But I don't know. I think most people are good and we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to, you know, don't want to make anyone feel bad. I think that's uh, where it comes down to, but anyway, everybody just be, uh, be accepting of everybody, whoever they are. And yeah, I don't know. It's difficult, but I'm sure this uh, conversation will come up again with uh, how much it's uh, been in the discourse this, this year, but uh, let's move on. This is a bit of PlayStation news, but I want to bounce off of it and uh, talk about uh, a competitor competitor to Nintendo. Who knows? Might happen. So uh, this is uh, Nintendo's next PlayStation handheld from Insider Gamer. The article reads, following the days of speculation, Inside Gaming can uh, report that there's a new PlayStation handheld in development codenamed the Q Lite. The next PlayStation handheld is the next piece of Sony hardware that aims to be yet another piece of hardware that requires the PlayStation 5. Insider Gaming understands the Q-Lite is, is not a cloud streaming device, but instead uses remote play with the PlayStation 5, a feature that the console giant has been pushing these past couple of weeks. Sporting the ab- uh, adaptive streaming up to uh, 1080 and 60 FPS, the new device will require constant connectivity to the internet. As the console's physical features, early prototypes show the console will look a lot like the PlayStation 5 controller, but with a massive 8-inch LCD touchscreen in the center. The device supports adaptive triggers for haptic feedback and will include what you would uh, come to expect from a handheld. Volume buttons, speakers, and audio jack, etc. Insider Gaming understands that the Q-Lite is in its QA phase and is scheduled to release before... Uh, the PlayStation 5 Pro and after the detachable disk drive PlayStation 5. As previously mentioned by uh, industry insider Jeff Grubb, uh, Sony is planning to announce its second phase of PlayStation 5, which was referring was in reference to its future game slate. Uh, ironically, though, this second phase is very much true for Sony's hardware offerings with a de- detachable disk drive PlayStation 5 named Project Nomad. And wireless earphones, which is Pro- Project Voyage, Voyager, Voyager, yes, and the Q Lite handheld, uh, all scheduled to release within a short period, and we'll end it there. So, uh, I just found this really interesting because 
we've got pretty much no major competitors to the Nintendo Switch. It's the only handheld, mass market handheld uh, you can go and buy to play your games on the go. Um, apart from that, it's just mobile gaming, streaming, and the uh, the Steam Deck, which is you know still a, a niche thing that you can only buy from Valve itself. So it's interesting that you know Sony after the PlayStation Vita just went, all right, we're done with this, and they're making a remote play device where you can basically pick it up and remote play from your PlayStation Five within your house, and that would excite me a little bit. But at the same time, remote play never works. <laughs> it never worked on my phone, iPad, computer, wherever I played it. I don't know if it's just my my router or internet or whatever have you, but it just did not work. So if it's just remote play, it's probably a no-go for me. And obviously, just remote play device is not going to be a competitor to Nintendo Switch. But in some ways, if you just want to sort of play around the house or maybe play when you're on a plane trip or a business trip or like whatever have you, away from the house, it might be a good option for you, but I still can't, I'm still very much a person who likes playing games on the hard drive, ready to go, no latency, anything like that, because I just have not had a good experience with streaming or remote play or anything like that. But I find it disappointing in some ways because I'd love to see PlayStation come back to the handheld market and they certainly cannot do another Vita. They can't support it with its own unique software. You can't have Naughty Dog, you know, make make a Last of Us game for it. You can't have Sucker Punch make Infamous or anything like that exclusively for a PlayStation handheld. Like PlayStation, they're just not set up to support two devices. They're set up to make huge, expensive, awesome games for a big, powerful console. That's how they're set up. That's how the studios are, are made and they're looking to get into a lot more games of service and stuff. You know, they bought Bungie, so they're looking to, you know, use their expertise to really get into that market. So we're not going to see another handheld from Sony, but personally for me, especially after seeing the Steam Deck, how it's just like every game on your PC, well, every game, but a lot of games on your PC that you buy on Steam, they will work on this thing. So a lot of like your big budget games, you know, Valve aren't making exclusive games for its Steam Deck. Other developers aren't making games just for Steam Deck. It's utilizing the PC architecture and um, using Linux as the operating system and games for the most part just run on it especially if they optimize that a little bit and a little bit of tinkering with emulators and stuff you get like a bunch of stuff on it so my dream for like a PlayStation device would be it would be way too much to get PlayStation 5 games running on it because the PlayStation 5 is massive and it's got a I don't know it just wouldn't work but I could see like maybe using PlayStation 4 architecture on a handheld and being able to play PlayStation 4 games off of a, a digitally downloaded hard drive um, would be really cool. I'd love to see that. And even stuff like God of War Ragnarok and stuff that is coming out from Sony now, that's got like a PlayStation 4 version. So you could play those games on uh, this uh, magical handheld that I would love to have. But just like you think about the price and how Sony would market it, being like, hey, look, you can download PlayStation 4 games on this thing. Isn't that exciting? And I think the majority of people will be like... No, that's not that exciting. <laughs> I got my PlayStation 5 and you do like a mixture of remote play for PlayStation 5 games from your PlayStation 5. But if you want to go on the go, you got the PlayStation 4 version. That's how I can see it working. But even that, it's not a cut and clear decision. And I guess we've got that similar situation with the Switch where they have picked their handheld to go forward with as like their only device. We don't have a two system sort of thing that they used to have with the 3DS and Wii U. Now, we're sort of getting the, getting the companies pick their lanes. You know, PlayStation's like, they've had immense success with every single uh, console they've released. 
and not so much of the handhelds. So they know what they're successful at. They know what they're good at. They stick to the PlayStation and Nintendo. I think they got to the point where we know what we're good at and we can sort of, in some ways, you know, put our icing on the cake and eat it and uh, just have all the benefits in one. And it's pretty much a console with a controller as well. But uh, as far as like how games are running and the type of experiences they're making, they are very much more catered to being on the go, which I enjoy. I, I really enjoy. Even like Tears of the Kingdom, it would be great to be able to play it on something like a PS5. But also having it in your pocket's pretty cool too. So I'm not going to be too against that. So I thought it would just be interesting to bring up what some other companies are doing with handhelds and it's all moving towards remote play and streaming and We'll see if this uh, technology actually takes off and becomes um, a bit better. So it might be actually something that Nintendo is going to worry about in some ways because if you can just, like, for example, you subscribe to Game Pass, you just boot up a game, plays flawlessly, looks amazing, and it's a part of your subscription on a different ecosystem anyway. It's like, do you need a Switch? Don't know. I oh, know, I certainly do. Obviously, Nintendo games, I think a lot of people are still going to buy it for that reason, but... As a, like, as a device itself, being like, I need a portable system. Nintendo's got one, I'll get that. But eventually as we move forward, I'll like to see what streaming will do. I don't think in Australia we'll ever get to that point. But who knows? If you live in California somewhere, you might have good internet. But who knows? We got a, we got a rumor. So this article is, Nintendo is working on the Paper Mario Thousand Year Door remaster for Switch. Question mark. For my Nintendo news, the article reads... A member of the Famiboard forums who claims to be an investigative journalist has reportedly learned that Nintendo has been busy working on a Paper Mario Thousand Year Door remaster for the Nintendo Switch platform. The user says that he has previously provided verified rumors to various YouTube channels while remaining in the background uh, as he doesn't like the attention. Oh, that, well, that makes one of you bloody leakers anyway. Doesn't like the attention. That's why everybody else does it. That's why I'm going to leak right now. There's a, um, what am I going to leak? Uh, there's a, a brand new uh, Chibi Robo game coming up. It's going to one of our questions after this article. So get excited about that. Chibi Robo. Uh, the user, uh, in the background, as he doesn't like the attention, the user says that they have been in contact with three sources regarding Paper Mario Remaster. Uh, always, this is a remaster and nothing has been announced by Nintendo. Quote, as some of you know, I do hobby journalism behind the scenes and research various things for some fun. Some accurate Nintendo rumors that were reported by YouTube and other sites in the past partially were based on my research. As I said, I don't like the attention and thus always asked um, everybody to keep, uh, keep me private, which I intend to continue to remain private in these stories. However, now that I have something super excited um, that I'm aware of, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door Remaster is finally happening and coming out soon. I have been in touch with three sources and and this one and this one of them redirected me to the third source who I hadn't interacted with before. So it was just me cold messaging them on LinkedIn uh, because this is the third source wouldn't acknowledge that the release date I, I had heard from the previous two sources. I'll just leave this as coming soon. I'm formed both Nintendo Prime and at Nate Drake about this privately. There's one more person I have informed, but they wish to remain anonymous. I uh, personally had always wished for the Thousand Year Door remaster. I'd never played it on GameCube, so I'm over the moon to finally play this Switch soon. And this is uh, this is exciting. Uh, 
hold on. I've got to, I've got to clear myself out. Give me a second. Doing pretty good. Haven't coughed yet either. So go me. <laughs> so the thousand year door. I've been really excited to play this as well. I'm going to play it this year. And uh, I'm going to play uh, the first Paper Mario on 64. I, I had that in Virtual Console on Wii and I fell off of it. And I want to move that into Thousand Year Door. So there are two games I want to play this year. And I've got Thousand Year Door ready to go on emulator. I know, bad, Drew. But I've got my nice, uh, you know, Retro Fighters GameCube controller. I've got the setup on my TV with my Mac Mini. I'm all ready to go. I can play the game in 4K. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to really enjoy it when I play it. But uh, if there's going to be a remake on Switch... Excellent. I'll, of course, I'd like to play it on there. I prefer to play it on a, on Switch with a official remaster, you know, widescreen and all that beautiful stuff. And this game hasn't had a this game hasn't had a re-release. It's only been on GameCube, and it's just been a cult classic. For like, oh, a thousand you do it, fantastic. So like, oh, I'd love to play that. Where where can I get it? Uh, nowhere. You can get a very expensive copy on GameCube, or you can uh, download it on the dark internet. So yeah, I think uh, it's great that um, you know. There's a rumor out there. I hope it's true. And really, I, I can see it being true as well. It makes a lot of sense. Like the last Paper Mario game was two years ago with the Origami King 2020. And it's just like the idea of what we know about Nintendo's lineup. We've got the big hitter, the biggest game of the year will be Tears of the Kingdom in May. I think we have June off. I think we've got June off for Nintendo releases. And then in July on the 21st, we got Pikmin 4. And apart from that, we don't know much about what's going on. So I can see some re-releases sort of slotting in there, making up the rest of the release year. And this one makes a lot of sense just as far as when the last one came out and the idea of re-releases filling up the schedule. So looking forward to it, man. Uh, but we got a question as well from Delfino Jurians. And she asks, there's, there's rumors of a remastered GameCube game coming to the Switch, which is... Uh, uh, which game it is most likely and which game do you think it wish it would be? I wish it was Chibi Robo, but my brain knows that is very unlikely. Yeah, probably very unlikely for Chibi Robo, um, but I think the GameCube version would be pretty cool to get um, re-released on Switch. It wouldn't blow anyone away, but just having it accessible would be great. Um, I'd love I'd love just to be able to pick that up on Switch and uh, access it that way because there's been, um, was it a Chibi Robo Zip Lash on um, Bath? 3DS, I got a copy over there, which I haven't taken out the box. I just got it for the Amiibo. Got it for like 10 bucks as well. Uh, that was like a pretty poor, like, you know, just like platformer. Um, nothing too much to it. But I heard the GameCube game was great. And the DS game was pretty cool too. But I think it's the GameCube game that's really cool. But as far as like games, I, I, I'd want like, or, not Origami King, um, 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 A Thousand Year Door. That's that's definitely up there. It's one I'd really like to play. Um, I've been playing Metroid Prime Remastered. So Metroid... Um, two Echoes I'd love to see on Switch as well. We'll get the remastered treatment because I, I don't want to jump into four without playing the first three. I think that'd just be... Well, it wouldn't be silly. I, I don't feel like I'm like taking in the story and really trying to understand what's going in Metroid Prime 4 when it eventually comes out, but I just want the context of how you know Retro Studios evolved the series and having such a big gap between three on the Wii and um, four. It'd be interesting just to see how like a new group of people you know, had their take on a brand new Prime game and what year do you reckon it's going to come out? Don't know. Don't know about next year. I, I can. I reckon if we, when when or if we get the announcement for uh, Metroid Prime 2 remastered or just a re-release, whatever it is, 
I think we can sort of space it out and sort of work out when Metroid Prime 4 is going to come. So, so just as an, as an example, say in six months' time after Metroid Prime Remastered, we get the remaster of the second game. I think we can expect the same amount of time for the re-release of the third game. And then that will play in nicely to whatever marketing Nintendo's got for the fourth game. So we can sort of use that as spacing out to figure out when the fourth game is going to release. So I'm keen. I'm keen. I am keen to check out the second game. I've got to finish the first game though. But uh, pretty cool. So yeah, definitely the second game. But th- there's some others that I really don't expect. I'd love to see the Pokemon games, Pokemon Coliseum, Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness come to the Switch, just have an uh, official re-release where people can experience it, pay money, you know, <laughs> rather than just like, all right, I'm going to get a 400 copy secondhand or I can download it online. You know, that's, that's, that's literally your options at the moment. And it kind of doesn't make any sense just to have those games just doing nothing. You may as well sell them. Sell them, Pokemon Company. Don't, you're not going to get my money selling remote raid passes for God knows how much, but you will get my money selling a ancient GameCube game. That's for sure. Any others I really want? I think like just like just the obvious ones, like you know, all all the big hitters like Smash Brothers Melee and even Double Dash. Just having these games is accessible. I think it's really important because I, I really ex- appreciate the NSO just for having those games, just being able to jump back and forth and seeing what's going on. But GameCube has just never had a virtual console, and it just it's kind of annoying that uh, you just can't access those games. Like I'm I'm going to play Pikmin um this month, and I can't buy it. <laughs> I can get the Wii version with the pointer controls, but I don't want to play it that way. I want to play it like the original way. And uh, there's just sort of no way to do it. So a little bit frustrating for the first two Pikmin games as well. And that's, um, that might be a similar situation for Pikmin 4 where you can only get Pikmin 3 on Wii U and um, 3DS, but it's not really a story-based thing either. So it's not too important. But I would, I'd like just to see the advancement of the of the series going into the fourth game. All right, second to last story before we move on with the show. Rare co-founder teases fans with Dream 64 cartridge, and this article is from My Nintendo News. In the 1990s, Rare was working on a project titled Project Dream, which eventually morphed into the beloved Banjo-Kazooie, which launched on the Nintendo 64 in 1998. Project Dream was originally intended for the Super Nintendo and then changed to the more powerful Nintendo 64 hardware. The main protagonist in the game was a young lad called Edson who caused plenty of trouble with pirates. The Super Nintendo version was isometric and the Nintendo 64 allowed more complex 3D environments. Rare eventually decided to scrap Edison and the Project Dream concept was reignited, um, uh, reintegrated sorry, into uh, 1998's Banjo-Kazooie. Fast forward today. And Rare co-founder Tim Stapler, uh, uh, Stampler, sorry, <laughs> randomly tweeted a photo of Dream 64 Drev cartridge hooked up to a Nintendo 64 and TV with the visual showing Captain Black Eye, who appeared in the sequel Banjo Tooie. Uh, Tim Spamfer, Stamper uh, has uploaded the short video clip, which uh, below which was made for the Nintendo 64. Uh, Shoshim. So Shin Kai show in 1996. The video shows Captain Black Eye standing underneath a palm tree with a treasure chest and says, so it is true then. The Nintendo 64 treasure does exist after all. It's mine, all mine. So this is just really cool, just video game history, just, you know, unearthed from from Tim. And it's uh, it's really cool to see. I'm not a big Banjo-Kazooie fan. I've, it's a game that I've like, you know, I've played a bit and I'm like, oh, cool. 
but it's uh it's tricky because I don't have the nostalgia for Banjo Kazooie. So you know all of the technical limitations of Nintendo sixty four. Um, it's it's sort of hard to hard to get into, but you know I, I enjoy it for the most part, and it's why I'm able to go back to Mario sixty four so easily because I have a lot of nostalgia for Mario sixty four and a lot of other Nintendo sixty four games, but. Um, just, just seeing this is just really cool. I didn't know anything about like the, the project dream sort of aspect and that it was a completely different game and that it's, you know, it morphed into Banjo-Kazooie and it would have been really interesting if they kept on going with like this pirate theme and everything that's going on with, uh, with project dream. And if, uh, Banjo-Kazooie never existed, what would have changed? Would, uh, would this character would have, might've been more popular. It might've, uh, made Nintendo keep them, not sell them. I don't know. Who knows what could have happened, but Interesting, regardless, I saw some people like basically asking like, can you can you like rip the ROM and put it online for video game preservation? I'm not sure if that's happened, but that would be cool. That would be very cool to actually see, uh, you know, some of this stuff actually um, be you know accessible to a lot of us. We just jump on and try it. That'd be pretty cool. But who knows? I dare say it's like, I don't really want people playing this, but I want people to see the startup screen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many people actually know about it. Like how many people played it at this show all the way back in 1996? Pretty cool stuff anyway. Last story is the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters get a new release date. And this, I'm reading this from Vooks.net. The Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters had previously an ambiguous release date of quarter two, 2023. But, but now they don't. And it's sooner than you think. The collection will drop on April 19th. Yes, just a couple of weeks away. There's only a... There's, they're still only available digitally so far here in Australia and now available for pre-order on the eShop for a mere $107.95. Uh, you can buy the first three separate uh, for $17.95 or the last three for um, $26.95. Thankfully, someone at Square Enix listened and they have gave the ability to swap out the terrible new font for the pixel-based ones if you choose. The Final Fantasy Pixel remasters are available uh, physically in Asia regions and the cartridges are multilingual. So if you're keen, you can pony up the postage and they're available at playasia.com. So pretty cool. And there's some really cool sort of uh, quality of life features as well where you can like, you can move the, like the experience earned in battle up to four times, the currency earned to four times, random battles turned off. And that's going to be really useful for for me, because I'm really keen to like experience the Final Fantasy games and I want to play through them all. I want to play through the first six in order. And while at the first, like all of them, apart from like four and six, like they're like the, the ones everybody like really sort of talks about and enjoys. And I want to, I want to play them all and just see how the series advanced, especially over, you know, the Nintendo consoles, the early um, Nintendo entertainment consoles. So I'm just really keen to do it that way. But like, I don't need to grind for hours and hours just playing Final Fantasy 1. So I'm glad that these features are implemented. So I sort of just want to experience it. I don't, yeah, I don't want to sit there and have to grind up my characters. Otherwise, I just will not finish the game. I'll fall off very quickly because I don't know, I'm very keen to play Final Fantasy 16 too. I think that might get my attention a little bit more than Final Fantasy 1. But uh, looks great, man. I cannot wait to uh, pick it up. I'm not going to pick it up like at launch or this month probably even before Zelda, but when it goes on sale or when I'm like ready to get it, I'll download it then. I'll buy them all as the pack. So pretty cool. Very excited for it. Um, I'll begin to hear from anybody who's looking to jump into the Final Fantasy games. Whether you're a big fan or the first time playing the series, I'd love to hear from you guys. 
You can at me at iDruby on Twitter. All right. Let's jump into Reggie's rec room. And I want to talk about my experience of getting into Metroid and why it's brought up some concerning things as far as uh, what's going on in my head. Oh, there's a mess up there. Hi, Nintendo fans. Reggie here. Thank you for your never-ending support, for giving me a mushroom kingdom full of incredible memories that I will never forget. Ever. All right, we are popping the champagne with Reggie Fizemay. Thank you very much, Reggie, for, for being here at the house tomorrow. I really appreciate it. It's a bit flat, though. I think you popped it a little bit tight. Do you shake it beforehand, you bloody cheeky bastard? But I want to come to Reggie's rec room. I want to talk about my experience getting into the Metroid series over the past couple of weeks. And I mentioned at the start of the show that I've been playing through Metroid Fusion, finished it. I enjoyed it. It sort of stayed in my head. I wanted more, even though I wasn't like, oh, that was an awesome game. It uh, had a bit of, it pushed, had a bit of a pushback on me. But I'm like, all right, it's time to jump into Metroid Prime. It's time to experience this game for the very first time. It's time to just channel my inner 2002, you know, when those games came out on the same day in the US in November. And uh, 2002, that's before I was even, I was a gamer. That was before I had my Game Boy Advance. That was before I was playing Pokemon. That was before my gaming time. It really was. I've been gaming for 20 years. Feel like I, I feel like I got into gaming late. I was nine years old when I got into gaming, and I think it's not that late. But like compared to like you know some of my friends and like Bryce, he's like been playing since he was like four with his Nintendo 64 and whatever. So I always felt a little bit late. But you know, it's been 20 years. There's been a, it's been a couple of experiences I've had a, uh, in the lands, but uh, not too much Metroid. And um, I was thinking like, why didn't I get into Metroid when I was a kid? I got in like obviously I found Zelda and a lot of the Nintendo franchises. But Zelda, but um, Metroid really wasn't one that I got into. And I was, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, my first eight years, pretty much, of playing games, there was no brand new Metroid game. Didn't have a GameCube, and I didn't really get around that many Game Boy Advance games. So Metroid Fusion and Zero Mission, you know, they just really weren't on the cards, really. So, and it wasn't until many years later, where um, with the DS, with Metroid Prime Hunters, and I got the DS. For my birthday in June, the DS came out in Australia February twenty sixth or something. I, I that date rings a bell. I can't quite remember, but it was like towards the end of February. And I only got the DS a couple of months after it came out, and it didn't come with the demo. It's a little bit disappointing. So I had to wait for the full game of Metroid Prime Hunters. And I really enjoyed Metroid Prime Hunters. I thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed like the multiplayer, how it used uh, like all the different hunters, how you could uh, use them in multiplayer, they're all different abilities, different morph ball forms, or I don't know what they called it, but you know, Samus has the morph ball, but then these different characters, there's a character, I've got their name, sorry, it's been that long, but there's one that turns to like this slug. There's one that has, like goes around like a Beyblade and uh, they're all unique. It's really actually really cool. And it's just like the character characterization was done really well in Metroid Prime Hunters, even though it wasn't made by Retro or whatever, it was made by like a, more of like a technology company within Nintendo of America. So it was just a, it's a cool game to get into, but I think I got turned off because just the, the, the story, it, it got a, well, not the story, but like the, the campaign got a little bit boring and I got lost and the bosses, they just recycled bosses again and again. And I, you know, it's fair enough for a DS game. They got to keep it small, I guess, but I, I just didn't fall in love with it and I didn't really give it another chance, to be honest with you. And uh, even to 
this day. I only gave it a chance with Metroid Prime, Metroid Fusion because, uh, you know, Josh and I were doing a, a show focusing on the Game Boy Advance and I personally want to play a lot of the Game Boy Advance games, especially the best ones. This is Metroid Fusion was one of the top rated on Metacritic Game Boy Advance games. So I'm like, all right, it's time to jump into it. And after finishing that, really got the itch to get into Metroid Prime. And I want to finish Metroid Prime just so I understand what the game's about. Um, also, it's like a new release this year for Nintendo, you know, the remaster come out. So it's the absolute perfect time to get into it. And we're going to be leading up to Metroid Prime 4 later on down the track. So we need to get the ball rolling as far as getting into that. And I'm about, I'll say like two quarters through the game. And... I, I respect the game, but I, I, I can't say that I'm enjoying it. And it's really sort of shown to me that I might be suffering from something. And it's nothing too, too, nothing too much. It's not going to kill me, but it is something I'm going to call modern gamer syndrome. And uh, <laughs> modern gamer syndrome is, uh, you know, this is, this is how I'm going to describe it. It's, uh, you know, we're used to modern game design where we are. Wait, hold on. All right, we're back. Uh, Chantel just had to get the keys off me and ask me a couple of questions since I've been sitting in here for two hours recording the podcast. But um, where I was just talking about, uh, you know, modern gamer syndrome as far as uh, how I say it is, is I'm, you know, we're all so used to playing modern games where it's all about, you know, being directed to the right place and having a linear experience for the most part or, you know, showing it clearly what we need to do, where we need to go. And, I guess, you know, I've, over the past few years, I've been used to that as far as playing games that have been directing you and give you a clear idea of what you need to do. But Metroid really isn't that. And uh, Metroid Prime, especially being in a 3D environment, I, I've i been using a guide for this game and I've got no idea how I would even think about getting through this game without a guide. I've got no idea. Just like, you know, certain, you know, you get a you get an item, like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll use this there and you progress, you know, through the area. But no, it's like you got to backtrack through all this and you're going to find a little hole and you go down here and it's just like a, a completely different way to use the map. And I'm also, when it comes to like exploration, I think The Legend of Zelda has taught me a lot as well. As far as, you know, you can look for cracks in the wall to bomb or if you can find little secrets and you'll find the chest and you come back, you come back to the main route and you keep on going. But with Metroid, there's no like, there's no like secret area necessary. Well, there is, but there's not, there's so many like branching paths. You're like, which one's the right one? I got no idea. And you, you know, get, you go down this big rabbit hole and you're like, well, can't do anything there. And you, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a lot of, uh, a lot of me just not being patient as well when it comes to uh, playing games and maybe rightfully so because I get limited gaming time, like a lot of adults do. And when I get my son to bed and it's, and it's time to play some games. I got like a couple of hours to really dive into a game. I might be a little bit tired as well, but you know, you got to make use of what you've got to, uh, you know, get some gaming time in. And do I want to, do I want to use it just like going around a uh, Metroid, just being like, all right, where do I need to go? Where do I need to be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that is exactly what I, what I need when it, when it comes to like, my, my gaming time. And it's, it's honestly why I avoid games that I'm interested in, like Elden Ring and, you know, Dark Souls and things like that. They look like a lot of fun, but I just do not have the patience. And, uh, you know, I've got the time. I can just be like, this is the game I'm playing for the next couple of months. And I will learn it. I will get better at it. But I just, I don't necessarily have the patience for it because I want to be moving a little bit more quicker. I want, 
I want to be felt, I want to f- feel rewarded for what's happening in the game. And, uh, you know, typically with Metroid, if I'm just getting lost or especially Metroid uh, Prime Remastered, it's like it's got certain save points. There's no auto save. So if you die, you're going back to your last save. And I've had a couple of moments where I've been upset <laughs> being set back. I, I haven't raged um, at a game in a while, but that made me rage because I'm just sort of like 40 minutes just down the drain. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I've got, got a limited amount of time and it's just it's gone down the rabbit hole. But this is something I want to tackle as far as myself. And it's something that I acknowledge in myself. I've never claimed to be a high-skilled gamer. I'm not doing speed runs. I'm not in some fighting game tournament. I'm just your average day gamer. I love doing, uh, love playing the games, putting the thumbs on the sticks, all of that. But I do acknowledge that maybe my hand is getting held a little bit too much. So... I haven't finished Metroid Prime yet, but I'm keen to, you know, play some more Metroid games. The The feeling is in me. <laughs> I really want to, uh, you know, experience more of this and try and get rid of my modern gamer syndrome, which is all about not uh, relying on the game, telling me what to do and, uh, you know, just exploring for myself. And uh, I'll, I'll work it out after a couple more Metroid games, whether it is me or it's the series or it's just not for me necessarily. Um, because like for like exploration, like in Breath of the Wild or a Zelda game, I don't know what to do, but I'm just, I enjoy exploring those places. Whereas like in Metroid, it's, you know, it's, it's a completely different feel. Um, it's very, very, you know, it's tense. It's scary. Um, it's alone. It's uh, not small areas that you feel claustrophobic. Um, and that's what the game, that's what the series is all about. And I think that's what, you know, makes it stand out, especially within uh just within like the amount of Nintendo franchises as well. This is this is like the one Nintendo franchise that isn't cute, but isn't adorable. <laughs> Even like, you know, you got the wacky characters and Zelda and all that. You got like the, you know, some t- terrifying bosses. But for the most part, like Metroid is like the series was like, oh, everything's gross. Everything's, ugh. Every planet she goes to just wants to kill her. And, um, you know, she's a badass. She, she's very soft-spoken. She's got very few words. So I'm definitely getting an appreciation for Metroid as I go forward. Very glad that I played Fusion and uh, looking forward to getting through Prime and uh, having a break, but then getting into maybe Super Metroid or whatever have you on the NSO. Um, but it's definitely something I want to I want to tackle a bit more. Just with uh, I think a lot of us uh, might be this way if you haven't played Metroid like growing up, or whatever. Um, it's definitely a language. I feel like a like a game design language that uh you need to get used to, but I'm enjoying it. And there's maybe I'll go into some other games that are a b- like a little bit like it as well. I'm really keen to play the Castlevania games and maybe some other, other stuff like Hollow Knight and all that as well. But I want to uh, try and, try and uh, take off the training wheels because you know, I've got the training wheels at the moment with the walkthrough, but just uh, if I don't want to be there for hours and hours and hours, like looking where to go, I don't know. I don't know how I'll go. <laughs> Because I, I just did a, like, um, what did I just get? I just got, I got the grapple shot. I'm like, cool. <laughs> and I, I looked at the walkthrough and it, you've got to go back to like the lava area and uh, like use it to grapple up to the ceiling and use the morph ball to move the platforms to get to this other door. Um, what did it give you? I forgot what it gave you now. Oh. Anyway, it gives you like another weapon. I'm like, how the hell would I have found this? <laughs> I, like the first time people play it, they take like 20 or 30 hours to play it. I don't know. God, 
it's just that it, it baffles me. It really does. But um, I, I I appreciate just how, um, especially for like a game in 2002, how intricate each area was. It's uh, very impressive. It's very impressive for um for like a first 3D Metroid game. And um, I'm keen to see if a retro studio sort of advanced their techniques uh, going forward and what a brand new Metroid game is going to look like. It's going to be really exciting, but I'm glad just to experience the series to understand what it's about rather than just being like, oh, well, it's not for me, but I want to understand what it's about. Even if I have to use a guide and uh, much to a lot of people's chagrin, um, yeah, I'm not cheating. I just need help. <laughs> I need help. I suffer from modern gamer syndrome. It's, it's a real thing. And it's all, it's all modern uh, game design's fault. Not mine. Yeah, got to blame someone else. You're always going to blame someone. All right. Let's move into the red coin releases. There's a couple of releases this week I want to talk about, which I'm uh, I'm keen to try out. But like I said earlier, I've got a big backlog, so I won't be jumping into them that early. But you guys might want to jump into them. Let's talk about them. first one is Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. The Battle Network is back. Get ready to jack into the net and face off against deadly enemy programs and electrifyingly grid-based battles and search the net for the race and powerful battle chips to build the ultimate deck of special moves. This renowned Mega Man Battle Network series, which has expanded into anime and comics, is back in the Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. This bundle includes 10 action-packed games, plus additional features like a gallery of illustrations and music. Ooh. In addition, online play is supported. In uh, 200X... The rapid advancement of internet technology has created the network age. People have come to enjoy the benefits of network technology through portable uh, exploration devices called PET, a personal simulation program called NetNavi. The network world expands and life becomes more convenient. However, network crime is raging. Main character uh, uh, Lan and his NetNavi uh, Mega Man EX join forces to confront these incidences. Ooh, that sounds exciting. So I'm actually really keen to play these games as the games that have uh, released on Game Boy Advance, uh, RPGs. There's basically six mainline titles. Uh, I think the last three or two games had two versions similar to what the Pokemon series has done with like Red and Blue and Ruby and Sapphire, etc. So pretty keen to check these out. Um, I just yeah don't have uh, don't have the room to put them into my backlog. But uh, I'm very keen to play these games, uh, especially since I'm on my Game Boy Advance playing uh, run at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, they look really cool. I've always looked at them and thought they were great. So just having them accessible on modern platforms is really cool. Next one is uh, Wild Frost. The sun has frozen over. Uh, uh, succumbing to the Wild Frost, the town of Snowdwell it's, uh, and its survivors stand as the lost bastion against the eternal winter. Build up a deck of powerful card champions and elemental items as you battle to banish the frost once and for all. We got some uh, dot points here. Perfect your card battling skills and craft a deck unique to you as you journey across an unforgiving frosty landscape. Collect and upgrade card companions ready to withstand waves of cute... Uh, Pengus, Gooblers, and Brutalish Boss Monsters. Oh. 
plan ahead in battles with help of a dynamic counter system and map out your next move and fend off frosty foes. Upgrade and customize your favorite companions with woobly charms to enhance their powers. Take shelter in the town of Snowdwell between runs, consecutive buildings to unlock new cards, tribes, events, and uh, aid and more aid to fight against your everlasting frost. Test your skills with daily runs and challenges, creating endlessly re- creating endless repat replayability. That took a bit to get off my mouth, didn't it? See, so, um, Ever Everfrost uh, caught my uh, eye just with its um, really nice art style, cartoon art style, really bright and vibrant. Really like the look of it. Card game seems like it's. Uh, God, I forgot what it's called now. Um, you know, the, the, the genre where you've got to you go for runs and then you die and you go back, but you're like, you know, keep your roguelike. That's the one. It's a rogue. Seems like it's a roguelike, which I didn't know before reading this. But um, yeah, it's cool if you're into card games. Go and check it out on the Nintendo Wii Shop. About, uh, about a little bit under 30 bucks. So go and check that out. So yeah, very keen for um, Mega Man, but uh, we'll save that for later in the year. That's uh, that's on my wish list, and it might stay there for a while, but who knows. All right, let's uh, move into the end of the show. We've got Doug Bowser's Hot Takes. And uh, we all know Doug Bowser, he's got some hot takes. He, uh, he's got some takes that uh, he w- says, Hey, Drew, I want you to defend my hot take, and uh, whether you agree with it or not. I'm all right, Doug Bowser, my lord and savior. What you got for me this week? And this week is actually probably a pretty common... Uh, opinion for a lot of people and especially maybe if you're not a big Nintendo fan but the hot take this week is Nintendo should stop relying on nostalgia and I haven't thought about this at all to be honest but uh, let's jump into it so we've got the minute timer we've got a minute to jump into what this means (laughs) and uh, then we'll uh, move on from there so three two one Nintendo should stop relying on nostalgia because I'm sick of feeling nostalgic when I'm playing Nintendo games. I'm playing The Legend of Zelda and when I play Tears of the Kingdom, I do not want to be bombarded by because it will take me all the way back to my childhood and there will be just memories of my mum bending down and saying, Drew, I love you, son. And my father saying, hey, mate, do you want to go and play catch with the old pigskin? And I'll remember those memories, but then I'll be flashed back all the way back to present day. And I'll think to myself, oh my gosh, everything's so sad. And I'll just be overrun by depression and depression will hurt so much and it'll be very hard. So I think Nintendo should stop relying on nostalgia because as an adult, we don't want to be depressed. We don't want to remember the good times. We want to be just content with how things are in 2023, even though times are very tough. Um, but uh, apart from that, it's not too bad, eh? That's a minute. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't know where that came from. Uh, every, yeah, I feel all right, but... Yeah. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a lesson I just learned about myself, isn't it? Jesus Christ. Maybe I should stop playing games. If that's the case. Anyway, if you've got some hot takes you'd like me to defend, you can email me at Drew at the House of Mario with the title Doug's Hot Takes. You can also leave them in our Discord community. There's a link in the show notes. So go and check that out um, if you'd like to have me defend a hot take. And you can do the most heinous hot takes if you like. Um, that one was pretty safe, really. But um, it is what it is. 
So everybody, thank you very much for listening to episode 249 of The House of Mario. Before I go, I'll queue up this week's jukebox. I'm going to make it very, very easy for you guys. Um, You know, we've got a bit of hype going on. But apart from that, you can uh, guess what game it's from and you can leave your thoughts on Twitter or a social media platform with the hashtag... From Zelda Hype, let me know what you thought of the episode and also go and check out, I guess, the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube comments at youtube.com slash idruby. Leave a review, a comment. Let me know what you thought of the show. I really do appreciate it. But until then, guys, the doors to the House of Mario are closed. I'll catch you later.